Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Third rule of Fight Club someone yells stop, goes limp, taps out. The fight is over. Fourth rule only two guys to a fight. Fifth rule. One fight at a time, fellas. <laughs> Sixth rule, no shirts, no shoes. Seventh rule, fights will go on as long as they have to. And the eighth and final rule, if this is your first night at Fight Club, you have to fight. Disenfranchised with his place in consumer society, an unnamed protagonist's world is turned upside down when he meets nihilistic hellraiser Tyler Durden. But Tyler's taste for the anarchic sends everything spiralling out of control. David Finch's late 20th century tale of masculine emasculation polarised critics and underperformed at the box office. Finding a new home on the burgeoning DVD market, Fight Club is now considered a masterpiece. My name is Luke, and with me are the leaders of Project Mayhem, Westy. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. And Matt. Bob. Bob had bitch tits. This is All the Right Movies Life, and it's ending one minute at a time. Hello everyone, welcome to All The Right Movies, a beautiful and unique snowflake of a podcast on classic and hit films. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we are. Today we're letting the chips fall where they may as we, t- as we record a podcast about Fight Club. Yes. yes. We're not talking about it. No. No, no, we're not. It is a big one, this. It's been on our radar for a number of years and it's Definitely. finally here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Going to be a good one. It is. But before we dive into the depravity, we're going to talk about Patreon for a moment. Okay. Different level of depravity there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some would say better. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Space monkeys. Every, every last one of them. <laughs> we create exclusive content for our biggest fans who support us on Patreon. And if you sign up, you can get access to a brand new podcast every month, exclusive only to ATRM patrons. Yep. You can vote for the films that we talk about, and you can get access to our vast well of podcasts in our podcast archive. Mm-hmm. We've created over 130 podcasts, roughly, and they're available in their entirety to our Patreon supporters. Exactly. Yes, Worth it just that alone, to be fair. Massive. Mm-hmm. So if you can't get enough of All the Right Movies, please sign up at patreon.com forward slash All the Right Movies. It really helps us out and allows us to continue what we're doing and do more of it. Yes. Much appreciated, everyone. Yes, it really yes, is appreciated, guys. appreciated. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. So back to the project. Yeah. His name is Ian West. Why does he want to talk about <laughs> this film? <laughs> oh, try to keep it secret for so long. Um, <laughs> it's because it has to be done, I think. I mean, we all love Fincher. We know that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was 19 when this came out. Can you imagine? Mm. And I was just baying for blood. It's exactly what I wanted. I was listening to loads <laughs> of Radiohead. I was really miserable. I was sick of fucking everything. <laughs> and I went to the cinema and I saw this and I was like, what do you wow, mean, were? Yeah, well, still am, to be honest, but this was one of them films that just <laughs> made sense to me, to my generation. I was like, they had, it had something to say, and it had something to say seriously and with a maturity, and with a, mm-hmm. you had to pay attention to it. It's a very, very serious film. But one way I could turn around and be parents and go, this is actually what I think, and you have to take it seriously. 
It right. was a voice for me and okay, I really, right, yeah, from I that, like that point. And I, I really, really loved it for that, for that moment. And then ever since I've watched it every single time, it just gets better and better and better. I cannot pick fault with it, really. I just really adore the film. A lot of people really adore the film. I think it might be one of them films that you either really get or you really don't. You invest mm-hmm. in it or you mm-hmm. just don't. It's quite a Marmite film, I guess. And there might is, be a little yeah. bit of polarity on the on the pod today. We shall see. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yes. Maybe. I'm, firm, I'm firmly in the uh, very, very much enjoy this film. I very, very much enjoy what it's got to say. I love the way it says it. I love pretty much everything about it. Yeah, so I'm very, very excited to talk about it, finally. Mm. I know you've been championing it for years as well, Westy. You know, yeah, you yeah. wanted to talk about it. And I am the opposite. I've never been a fan of the film. Mm-hmm. I've seen it once or twice beforehand and could never get away with it. Yeah. And try telling that to Westy and not get a disgusted, dismissive response back. <laughs> Absolutely disgusted furious. or disgusting. I don't like Fight Club. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know, but I think I've been all right with it over the years, to be uh, fair. You, you've mellowed. Yeah, slightly. <laughs> it's always been kind of like a gaping hole for me. I, I've always felt as though I owed myself to to watch it more. Mm-hmm. Finch is one of my favorite directors. Am I missing something? And I often do this with certain films that we cover on the show. I go in not loving it, mm-hmm. and then it winds up being one of my favorites. Right. Westy, I know what you think. Yes. I'd like mm-hmm. to get your views. Mm-hmm. Matt, the same. Mm-hmm. And I'll let you know how I feel about the film now as we go. Oh, mm-hmm. great. Hopefully it's changed. I'm praying. But well, we'll see. I, I don't <laughs> think so. I know you too. <laughs> and Matt, what about you? It's just reminiscent of a really great period for film for me, that late 90s mm. yeah. era. Yeah, you love it, don't you? I, I do love it because, you know, I, I was about 20, I think, when this came out. So, like, anything that was 18, I could go and see the cinema now. didn't have to, you know, try and sneak in, wait for the video. And, like, at, at this time, it just seemed like there were so many new voices coming through. People like Paul Thomas Anderson, Spike Jones, yep. and David Fincher, absolutely part of that. Yep. And they, they were cutting through to the mainstream, and it was really exciting to see that happen. And... This film in particular, when was the last time a film came out that genuinely felt dangerous? You know, mm-hmm. there was a lot of talk back then, you know, is this film pro-fascist? Should it be allowed in mm-hmm. cinemas at all? I think it's fair to say a lot of that is extreme overreaction looking back. But all the same, it's a film that demands an opinion. I do have some issues with it, but some things I think work brilliantly. So it's a film you, you just can't sit on the fence with this one. Definitely not. No. It definitely incites a reaction. It's a very, very strong reaction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Based on Chuck Palahniuk's novel, Fight Club was written by Jim Olds, directed by David Fincher and produced by Art Linson, Cian Safin and Ross Grayson Bell for Regency Enterprises and distributed by 20th Century Fox on the 10th of September, 1999. Mm. Filmed on location in LA and at sound stages in Century City, it stars Edward Norton as the narrator, Brad Pitt as Tyler Durden, and Helena Bonham Carter as Marla Singer, with great support coming from, unlikely, Meatloaf <laughs> yeah, and Jared Leto. Yeah, yeah, both amazing. Okay, are we ready? Mm-hmm. Let's do it. We're about to enter the troubled brain of our narrator. After a classic Fincher credit sequence, we're introduced to the narrator as he walks us through his empty IKEA existence. We're looking at the sequence where he takes comfort from self-help groups and meets his nemesis, Marla Singer. 
Mm-hmm. Westy, the floor is all yours. Yeah, it's fantastic. Marla Singh, an incredible character. But I'm just going to go to the, the meeting hands with the Doctor when he just doesn't get anything back. That's every Doctor's appointment I've had since COVID. <laughs> I think it's been exactly the same. It's like, <laughs> you can't have anything. Yeah, yeah. You just need to lighten up, chew some valerian root, get some good healthy sleep and get some exercise. What the fuck's the matter with you? So that's no Radiohead. Exactly. But it's like, I can, I can so relate to that. And that Doctor's just so fucking sick of his life. He's like, look, yeah. if you want to see pain, Go to First Methodist Tuesday nights. That's real pain. Like, if you want to yeah. see something, you realize what we're going through here. And I just, I love that interaction. I think that's really well played and really well done. And I think the self help groups themselves are, again, something that you have to sit through, something that they're putting you through where you can't mm-hmm. escape it. And you have to say, well, you have yeah. to experience this. And it's a really yeah. hard experience. It but really I do is. think that they give a lot of credit to that, a lot of credit to people who run that and a lot of the pain that everybody goes through. You, it does wake you up a little bit and it's very, very sobering and it is immediately, it's amazingly done by Fincher, I think, mm. to involve that level of reality to an audience at the yeah. opening of the film where you just yeah. go off, well, where's this going then? Yeah. How, how far <laughs> are we? What else do we have to experience to get through it? You know, mm. there's a really miserable quote from Parlinick who wrote the novel and he was out mm. of college. He's working a shitty job, unsure of his place in the world. And he was so desperate that he went to church and in the church that had a given tree, he picked an ornament from it, which read, take a hospice patient out on a date. So he said, right. you don't have to, Chuck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know it's in church, but come on. But he said that more often than not, the patient would say, can you take me to my support group? He attended the groups as an onlooker. And that's where the Cedar Fight Club started. And his woes dissipated because he thought, well, at least I don't have cancer. Which yeah. is, Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. That's, if that's a starting point, then okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's where you're getting your comfort from yeah I know right the narrator's apartment was based on David Finch's when he first moved to LA yeah he did this because while he was living there he was desperate to blow it up (laughs) 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 fucking hates Ikea doesn't he (laughs) yeah he said that what's presented in the film is a stylized version of our Ikea living surroundings he says there's nothing Mm. to kill anymore there's nothing to fight nothing Mm. to overcome or explore and in that societal emasculation this every man is created yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really, really well done as well, the introduction to the character of Tyler Durden. And like the second time you watch the film and you know the twist, which yeah. obviously the spoilers, this is going to be spoiler heavy. If you haven't yeah. seen the film, stop now and go and watch it and come back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Spoilers right from the top. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So they get them single frames of Tyler Durden coming in, just mm. them snippets, just mm-hmm. them little bits. And think, have I seen that? Have I seen that? Obviously, mm. it's just, it's what he does in the projection room and that comes back to the characters. But it's just, it's really, really well done when you have them little splices and then just mm-hmm. them little things. And yeah. it makes the film even more enjoyable on repeat viewings when you know what's coming. And it's really nicely done by Fincher and it's really technically brilliant. Yeah, I totally missed them until obviously doing research and yeah. now they're so obvious. <laughs> yeah, there's loads, yeah. isn't there? Yeah, yeah. If you've not noticed... We get six shots of Brad Pitt before we're introduced to Tyler Durden. Yeah. Mm. And in the first four, he's just spliced into the scene itself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a blink and you'll miss it. He's mm-hmm. at the photocopier when the narrator's struggling to stay awake. He's at the doctors, at the support group, when Marla's in the alleyway. Mm-hmm. And then finally, he's in the hotel welcome video. He's on the far right yeah, of the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. And in the airport, he's walking in the other direction to the yeah. narrator. Yes. I mean, when he goes to that survivor's meeting for testicular cancer, like, Jesus Jesus Christ, that's rough. That yeah. guy saying how he and his wife would have those, like, friendly disagreements over, like, how many children they wanted. Oh. But now she's with some other guy, and, oh, and but, you know, she's happy. Yeah. She's happy, she'll be happy for her. And then he just starts crying, you're like, oh, my God, this is the world of Fight Club, isn't it? And <laughs> yeah, one, yeah. one of the extras left that, that, that scene. Really? He just got up and left and refused to be paid. He said, like, I don't want to be part of this. 
Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, yeah. it, it's obviously not funny at all, but there is just that level of pitch black humour in that this is where the narrator was going through his kicks to try and yeah. fail something, and it's like, that's your first joke, so there's your litmus test for the rest exactly. of the film. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. it's not yeah. going to get lighter yeah. from here on That's your parameter right there. There's your parameter right there, so <laughs> there we go. Yeah. But what I really love, this is where we meet Bob. I really like Meatloaf in this. Yeah, Bob is well. He's easily the most sympathetic character in the entire oh, yeah. film, isn't he? Such a good guy. But the scene plays in one of my nightmare scenarios, which is any type of group meeting where you've got to make a friend. You know, oh, right, yeah, first yeah. day at school or a, a new job induction, find a partner yeah. to work with. Like the pressure is immense because oh god, let me find someone good. Don't leave me with the leftovers. Don't let me take <laughs> something that looks normal, but then turns out to be a weirdo. It, yeah. Bob isn't either one of those things, but but still, it's it's awkward. And you do yeah, go, but I just re- looking at him, you'd be like, please yeah. not him. Yeah, you yeah, would. Of course. You would. <laughs> yeah. I'd do anything, but not that. Yeah. <laughs> That's excellent. That's excellent, <laughs> Wonderful. But you do, you get that funny visual where he grabs hold of the narrator and he's crushing him into his chest and Norton's yeah. eyes nearly yeah. popping out. Yeah. And crying in front of other people in any circumstance is always awkward, but in front of strangers and this scene holds for an uncomfortably long time and you just go, yep, yeah, here we are, this is Fight Club. Yeah. So it's, it's a really good intro as to what to expect from this. But the thing about Meatloaf is obviously he, he was generally known as, you know, a heavy set guy. He, he yeah, yeah that. big fella. Big fella, but he had actually lost weight by the time they came to film this, so he is actually wearing a fat suit, and do you know what his bitch tits are filled with? Oh, it's uh, birdseed. It's birdseed, yeah, and and they weigh 28 pounds each, and Meatloaf said afterwards he felt sorry for big-breasted women after suffering through this. Wow. It was Rob Bottin as well, designed it, didn't he? Yes, he did, yeah. Yeah. That's right, yeah, yeah. 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 He did too, in fact, one with and the other without nipples. (laughs) Batman and Robin. Fincher didn't know if Fox would approve the pointy nipples, so he had a, a backup just in case. But the pointy nipples won out. Oh, well. <laughs> of course it did. Thank God. Look at everything Lots else in the film. For you. Imagine yeah. that. Oh, yeah. we just we'll we'll go light on the nipples. <laughs> everything else is fine. <laughs> no nipples. Sledgehammer yeah, to the face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no nipples. Everything else in the film pass. No problem at Chemical all. Chemical burn, not a problem. Yeah. No nipples though. Come on. <laughs> Charles Dickens wanted to see your nipples then. (laughs) But this is a Christmas show. (laughs) Scrooge at the Fight Club, how do we do that? (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah, and Meatloaf actually needed an oxygen tank between takes when filming the fight scenes because of the extra weight he was carrying, which you can see in the background of one shot. I'm not surprised, though. I mean, it does look like he's pounding stuff around. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how heavy would that have to be to mm-hmm. have to take on additional oxygen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, hundred. it was £100 in total. I mean, wow. Jesus Christ. Ridiculous. Well, I want to talk about when the narrator's walls come crashing down with an infiltrator to his self-help, a tourist. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Marla Singer, her introduction is incredible. She's all-powerful in that shot, that slow push That's, in yeah. when she's engulfed in smoke yeah. coming out of her mouth. Yeah. Wow. It's an incredible shot. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is outrageous that she joins a group of men suffering from testicular cancer. Mm. Norton yeah. claims that she has no diseases at all. Nah, I would argue against that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does look at that. Yeah, fair enough. This is cancer, right? Like our first line. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> really funny later on in the film when Tyler Durden says she needs a wash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you kind of, be- you really believe him. Still like, go through with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you want to finish her off? <laughs> I think it's darkly funny when one of the group in the self-help, Chloe, gets up. Yeah, yeah. And basically lays it on the table that she'll have sex with anything with a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And Norton's description of her is hilarious. She says she's like what Meryl Streep's skeleton would look like if you made it smile and made it walk around being extra nice to everyone. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's when she grabs the mic and it starts feeding back all the just yeah, little moments. Great. Which is that desperation. Yeah. She's got lubricants, yeah. uh, animal night rate. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But following on from that Fincher quote that I said before about emasculation, I think the interaction with Marla when they're dividing up the days for the groups is quite telling. Yeah. Mm. In the laundromat, Marla's using the Speed Queen washers, and that's exactly what she is. She's a whirlwind of unpredictability. Mm -hmm. She's stealing Mm. blue jeans, which potentially a symbol of masculinity, Mm -hmm. and then selling them at knockoff prices. Flagrant disregard for the symbols of masculinity. She's figuratively and literally got the narrator by the balls in this scene. Yeah. Yeah. And she's completely in charge. And he mm. doesn't know what to do. And to add to what you were saying, Matt, I think this sequence completely lays down the blackly dark humor that we should expect for the next two mm-hmm. hours. Yeah. Marla says she doesn't want to take the tuberculosis group because her smoking doesn't go over well. No. <laughs> what a line. Yeah. yeah. If you're on board with the film. Yeah. yeah. Just a completely bonkers opening. Unlike anything around at the time, I mean, what kind of film is this from yeah. this opening? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there was a long time when I watched this, and I was actually, as Marla Singer, his femininity and his Tyler Durden, his masculinity. Does mm. she actually exist in this film? Mm-hmm. Good, it, good question. Good mm. point. The bit that pulls me is the, the start when she's standing in the traffic mm. and mm-hmm. nothing yeah. hits her and she just walks yeah. backwards and forwards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that she's selling the jeans and selling the masculinity says to him, she can, he can lend her dress later. If he wants to yeah. lend it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Just, just, uh, trying to push that kind of feminine side and he doesn't know where he is. I, I don't know. No. It's great. I, don't know. I love it. Mm. Good point, though. <laughs> Before our next scene, the narrator takes us through a whistle stop tour of his life on the road. That is until he's hit by a lightning bolt. That is Tyler Durden. Mm. Oh, yeah. Matt, over to you. It's another one of those really awkward social interactions, isn't it? Stuck on the plane somebody rabbiting on and they just won't shut up. And, yeah, awful. Yeah, it's like the scene from Airplane <laughs> when Robert Hayes is doing it. <laughs> you would say that, yeah. You, know, is, you, yeah, you, you, you expect to come back and see that woman's feet just swinging in the air. Like, she's just <laughs> had enough of them, like, done about, you know, car insurance. But, yeah, great introduction to Tyler. Like, just cutting through the bullshit of everything. Like, all those safety procedures. How good does he look? Yeah, yeah he looks amazing. Outrageous in oh, everything. Outrageously good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, those, those routines, they're not going to save anyone. Oxygen is going to keep you calm. That's the more, yeah. that's, that's it. As he says, it's the illusion of safety. And when the narrator asks him what he does, and he just says, why? So you can pretend that you're interested again. Yeah. I like how that just cuts through the bullshit because, again, it, it's another scenario we've all been in, you mm. know, where we've had to strike up a conversation with the stranger, you know, you sat next to them at a wedding or maybe on a plane, and you don't really care what they do for a living, but you feel you've no, got to no. ask them. Mm-hmm. They're terrific. I hate these kind of interactions. I really it, avoid yeah. them at all costs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's wasted time. Yeah, yeah. it's his reaction to the interaction, though. It's great. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very clever. How's that work now for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah I love that. Clever. Great. Well, yeah. I'll keep it up then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant, brilliant. One of the best lines of the film. I love that one. But but then you get the subtle twist in conversation when, you know, he's, he's gone on, you don't care about my job. You know, this doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. But you know, you can make napalm from orange juice. Yeah. Just, just swaps it in there. <laughs> if you're so inclined. Yeah. If you're so inclined. And like, <laughs> that should raise a million red flags about this dude. 
But yes. Tyler was so charismatic, he's already captivated the narrator with his first few statements. It's a brilliant introduction to him, and it does end on one of the great questions of our times. When you pass someone, do you give them the ass or the crotch? Good question about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely, the eternal yeah. question. Yeah, what yeah. do you do? Ass every time, I'll say. Ass? Ass, yeah, ass for me. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes ass, sometimes cock, you know. <laughs> <laughs> different reactions, different needs. You know, yeah. Different needs, different times. <laughs> well, I want to touch on that moment when the narrator loses everything that he's worked for. Yeah. Um, firstly, at the airport, continuing what I said in the previous scene, this moment is intrinsically linked to Marla's emasculation of the narrator because his baggage is being taken away because it was vibrating. Mm. Mm -hmm. That guy in the airport is very, very funny. Yeah. He's so says, good. Uh, nine out of ten times, it's an electric razor, and then looking shiftly left or right, but every once in a while, it's a dildo. Whenever <laughs> <laughs> say your dildo. <laughs> and it's just when he's like scratching the back of his head with his pen, he just puts his hand uh, up and says, no, 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 yeah, don't even no, bother no, talking. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's great. Just scrape for your brilliant, <laughs> brilliant performance. The vibrator itself, it's not the narrator's. So has Marla done this as a sick prank? <laughs> Albeit, you know, a really funny one. Yeah. And we see that vibrator at least two other scenes in the film. We know Marla has one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But now that Tyler Durden is on the scene, it's been removed along with all of the other baggage that the narrator had, metaphorically and yeah. physically. Great. Yeah. And the same goes for his apartment exploding, the symbol of his malaise and disillusionment of the world around him. Just love that sequence. Love mm -hmm. those those visual clues that you're given. Mm -hmm. The number that the narrator dials is the number for his own apartment. Mm -hmm. And nice. the telephone itself states no incoming calls. Yeah, yeah. And ah, then yeah, it brings yeah. back, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Great. I love Pitt on the other end of that phone when he's just, <laughs> just chewing the crisps. crisps. Yeah. Who is this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. And he just like turns up out of nowhere. It's great. <laughs> I think Pitt must have it written in all of his movie contracts mm -hmm. that his yes, characters sorry. eat prominently. He yeah, does it yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah, he loves it. It's great from then on because then we're just immediately introduced to Tyler and they're in the bar, and then mm. they're just having that lovely back and forth. But that scene in the bar, there was no written dialogue whatsoever, which seems very un-Fincher for me. Yeah. But Fincher gave them a, <laughs> like a rough outline. And there was only 38 takes with no dialogue. I would have thought there'd be 138 takes if there was no dialogue written down. Yeah. So everyone's kind of ad-libbing and riffing, and I think that's all just really good. You know, the things you won't end up owning you, all these yeah, you know, yeah. three pictures of being you still can't ask and all this kind of stuff. And it builds up really, really well and shows that it's just Tyler Durden saying exactly what the narrator wants to hear. Because when you know it's him talking to himself and convincing himself that yeah. this is the new life you need to live and this is what yeah. you need to do and this motivation in which to do it. And he's completely taken him over at this point. You can mm -hmm. see because if I sat at a bar and Brad Pitt looked like that and he was starting to big me up and being like, do this and the thing you have, do that and follow me and stay at mine, I'll be like, fucking mate, whatever you want. Absolutely <laughs> sound. Fight Club, Project Mayhem, whatever. I'm selling everything. Let's yet. do it. Let's be pals forever. And that first fight that they have outside and it's just that bit when he's like, I want you to hit me as hard as you can mm -hmm. is just really iconic. Yeah, and you just think, yeah. well, oh, how, is, yeah. how freeing is that? I know it's mental to kind of think. Well, you just go in a car park with somebody and get the shit kicked out of you. But if you've ever had the shit kicked out of you, it is quite liberating <laughs> to walk away <laughs> and you just feel like quite cleansed by it. I don't know. There's just this thing. It's only happened a couple of times to me because of my mouth, obviously. But it's, these things happen. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, and Fincher kind of pulled Norton to one side and said, "Look, just hit him hard, but hit him in the ear and just mm. see what he does." 
and Pitt didn't have a clue that was going to happen. And you see Norton does it, and it's a really limp kind of punch yeah. to yeah. the bottom yeah. of his fist. Like, Ooh, you hit me in the fucking ear. It's just yeah. great. And you just get that, like, we should do this again sometime. Now I've seen it so many times. I just love it when you get that flashback and he drops the bottle. But that mm-hmm. at, when you get that scene and say, like, right, we're going to Paper Street. What a fucking shit all that place is. Yeah. So I just, yeah, yeah I love it from this, from this moment on. That introduction to Tyler in that bar is so cool. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Mm. Fincher used those 38 takes and he just spliced moments from each take together to get the scene in the, for the film. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Right. Right. Amazing. Yeah, And yeah, th- there were a few real blows landed during this, as, as you might expect. So Norton at one point, he broke his thumb on Pitt's abs. Of course he did. <laughs> like, <laughs> of course I mean, he did. Imagine, like, I'm not surprised. That's not on his head, not on his skull, when he put it from the story. <laughs> on, on his, his stomach. Yeah. Christ. <laughs> Christ, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, well, classic Brad Pitt. That it is. I mean, you, you'd yeah. be dining out on that for quite a while, wouldn't you? Yeah. The rest yeah. of your life. <laughs> Wester, you mentioned the Paper Street address. Mm-hmm. Paper Street's relevant because it pertains to a street that doesn't exist. Yeah. Map publishers often include Paper Street as a street that is planned but not in existence yet. Yes. Oh, okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what a shit all. <laughs> yeah. Grimy as hell. Incredible yeah. production design. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's fantastic, yeah. So with the narrator establishing that I am Jack's colon, he finally begins to establish his place in the world. Mm-hmm. The director. The director on Fight Club was, of course, David Fincher, mm-hmm. an ATRM favourite. Mm-hmm. Yes. Matt, mm-hmm. what do you think of his work on Fight Club? I think one of Fincher's strengths is he can really understand what particular style a film needs. You know, when he made Social Network, he knew it had to be snappy and fast talking, oh, yeah. almost like a sitcom. Mm. Zodiac, he knew it had to be methodical, patient, drawn Ooh. out. And this, he understands it has to be like a rocket. It has to move <laughs> fast and not just the pace, but in the sense that he packs pretty much every frame with something because that's what this film needs to be. Like, yeah. if we try to make this like as a more conventional thriller, like in a slightly more sedate manner, it would die in its arse. Mm-hmm. It needs to be something that feels like it's smacking you across the face every 30 seconds with yeah. something yeah. that grabs your attention. You know? And we've mentioned a lot of them already. So, you know, the split second insert to Tyler before he actually appears, the slow mo smoke curling out of Mauler's mouth. You know, oh. at times the frame literally judders and goes out of focus. You know, yeah. Tyler pointing out the cigarettes burns, huge close ups, yeah. cameras pulling themselves out of someone's brain through a gun barrel. I think any other film that would be intolerable. You'd be thinking this is so chaotic. This is such an overload of style over substance. But yeah, yeah. if you're going to layer on so much style, it has to be for a film of this nature because the film is about chaos. It is about getting seduced by style over substance. And mm-hmm. you know, it's about Good feeling point. you're getting pulverized every single minute. And that's what Finch is doing. So in that sense, it's perfectly judged because first yeah. view and you think, Jesus Christ, that was something. So, I'm not going to say it's the best directed film I've ever seen, but I think it might be the most directed film I've ever seen. Wow. Yeah, got you. Yeah. Yeah, good point. And what about you, Westy Fincher? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty much the same as Matt there. It's just his attention to detail for me. Just mm-hmm. the precision that he brings to this. There's a focus to this. The, from the camera movements, like Matt said, it's just punching into a close-up. It's coming out of a dustbin for no reason. It's like, <laughs> what the fuck? Why are we yeah. flying around all these different elements mm-hmm. of it? And, you know, and even when the narrator's just walking around his flat and it superimposed all the IKEA furniture over the top. Great touch. Incredible yeah. touch. Don't yeah. need to have that. Not no. at all. 
Not at all. He could just be sitting looking through the mm-hmm. catalogue, which he is anyway, mm-hmm. but you yeah. don't need to then have that sequence, which yeah. Fincher's like, well, because he respects the substance, he brings the style to the substance. Mm-hmm. So it's not Brilliant. style over substance, it's style because of the substance. Mm-hmm. And, and he really, really understands that. And I think the lightning in this film, some of it is pitch black. Mm-hmm. The actual yeah. fight club sections in that basement, some of it is just absolutely pitch black. Mm-hmm. And you just, he doesn't care. He's like, because that is the substance that I'm trying to get across with yeah. style. And it really, really works. And it's a very, very mature technique. It's very mature filmmaking for what could be quite an immature subject. Yeah. Of this masculinity, and we are yeah. smashing stuff up, and when we're just creating Project Mayhem, just being dickheads, just to get rid of corporate America, whatever. But it's a very mature take on that, and I think that is definitely down to Fincher. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think he does a really good job in visual clues to that huge reveal at the end of the film. One mm-hmm. of the most talked about reveals in modern cinema, I suppose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's when the narrator goes to sleep, it allows Tyler's presence to become more powerful. You know, maybe not dissimilar to Freddy Krueger in that respect. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Great. <laughs> and that accounts for this huge progress that Tyler makes in recruiting troops, executing Project Mayhem, all of this stuff. And this is visualized when the narrator has the car crash and he has a gash on his forehead. Mm. And when we next see him, he wakes up and the wound is all but gone. Mm-hmm. That's a good couple of weeks, two, three weeks progression yeah. in time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, that probably requires a few rewatches to catch that one. Yeah, There are little moments like when they're smashing the car lights, the alarms don't go off until the narrator makes contact. Yes. Mm-hmm. Even though Tyler was driving, he pulls the narrator out of the car wreckage from the driver's seat. Yes, right. Yeah. Very small details. Nice. The mm-hmm. fact that Tyler wears blue blocker shades and aid in insomnia would, I suppose, be lost on most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But what I think is great is the fact that Durden is a projectionist, projecting his ideals and anarchy onto the narrator. Mm. Fincher's having a laugh. He's having a massive laugh with the film. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Even in the projection scene, Tyler splices adult footage into family movies, Mm. and Fincher does the same at the start, that bit that you talked about, Westy. Yeah, yeah. It's and unbelievable. He puts a cock yeah. in it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he right actually in. puts it in it. Yeah. I mean, he's given us all the information we need to put the picture together, but I think he does it so subtly. I don't think anybody could have seen that ending coming. Nah, I certainly mm. didn't. I was blown away first time. Mm. With that first time I saw it, I still think of that now. To aid the anti-consumerist theme in the film, Fincher claims that there is a Starbucks coffee cup in every scene. <laughs> I don't think there is. No. I don't think there no, is. No, I don't think but there is. But it's certainly, it's certainly prominent. Yeah. The fact that the narrator feels trapped by society is, I mean, it's all around the film. Everyone smokes. It's so prominent. This, along with the Starbucks highlights, just how much we are kind of slaves to consumerism and Mm -hmm. advertising. I think that's what Mm -hmm. it's saying. To their credit, Starbucks were happy with the run and gag, but they did object to one of their stores being trashed by the Globe art installation at the end. So Finchin named the fictional coffee shop Gratifico Coffee. Yeah. Okay. Norton didn't smoke. And even refused on his last film on Rounders. He did, yeah, yeah. But he did for Fight Club because he thought it was essential for the character. Didn't he play poker for cigarettes in Rounders? Yes, but he still did. Didn't yes, exactly. Still didn't smoke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Marler is the suppose the kind of master smoker in the film. Yeah. But it did take its toll on Bonham Carter. She said, at the end of the shoot, I gave Finch an X-ray of my lungs. I had to have an X-ray because I got bronchitis. Wow. She said that Fincher got obsessed with smoke and had to float in a particular way. So I was just always sitting there in a cemetery of cigarette butts. Fucking hell. God. (laughs) I'm not surprised. He doesn't give a shit, does he? No, he couldn't care less. (laughs) I don't know. Fincher was on board pretty much from day one. 
because as soon as Fox bought the rights to the novel, they actually look for a director before the writer, which is mm-hmm. okay. Might be the other way around normally. And yeah. they bought the rights for seven thousand dollars, which doesn't sound that much, but a number no. of studios had rejected the novel just because it had this reputation like it's unfilmable, you can't put that on screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, although actually Fincher wasn't first choice to direct. No, that was Peter Jackson, of all people, but he declined because <laughs> yeah. he was working on The Frighteners, and I'm so pleased. I fucking love The Frighteners. I don't know if Jackson could have been uh, had the same level of of like no. maturity or nice. focus or satire than this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it wouldn't have, wouldn't have been the I same. I don't think he's no. cynically enough. As no, much as no, he's no, not. Not at all. No. And then when Fincher was approached, he was initially reluctant because of the terrible experience he had on Alien 3, like you mentioned, Luke. I mean, yeah. I'm surprised he made anything ever again. Yeah. So yeah. pleased he did, though. Mm-hmm. And that was also a Fox production. So he had to be convinced, but he did love the novel. He loved the source material. So you can, mm-hmm. you can definitely tell that. Like I said about mm-hmm. the substance, he, he, he understands it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It seems to me that there was a load of novels around this time that were perceived to be unfilmable. American mm-hmm. Psycho, Psycho Train Spotting, yeah. yeah. this. Yeah. And they all got they all got filmed. Yeah. yeah. All brilliant as well. <laughs> all great as well. Yeah. All great. Yeah. 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 Whoever's saying that is full of yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah. Don't know anything. Fincher, we've mentioned it before. Fincher is famous for doing multiple takes. In total, he shot 1,500 rows of film over 138-day shoot, Mm -hmm. 300 scenes, 200 locations. For context, 1,500 rows of film equate to around 28 miles of film. Wow. Okay, so we're going to wrap up our conversation on David Fincher Mm -hmm. by asking our first Patreon question. And that's another benefit of signing up to be an All The Right Movies Patreon supporter. You can ask us questions, which we'll answer live on the show. Mm Mm-hmm. So this one comes from Andrew Edwards. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Andrew asks, what do you think Fincher brought to this film that another director could not have done? Mm. Oh, mm. yes. And I'm going to go first. For me, it's the use of CGI in the film. Oh, nice. Oh, okay. okay, right. Typical of most Fincher films, really, they're generally mm-hmm. rooted in reality mm. and wouldn't seem like they would have any CGI in there or need to have it in there. Yeah. It was used to create the breath for the ice cave sliding penguin scene. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That was actually DiCaprio's from Titanic. I think it was like leftover stock footage in the used uh, for that. That's exactly right. right. Yeah. 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 Fincher was originally going to have a simple start of the film, the sound of a gun cock and opening the scene with the gun in the narrator's mouth, mm-hmm. but then conceived of the credit sequence that we get, a CGI recreation of the narrator's brain, complete with fire and fear receptors. Mm. Fincher said, because the movie is about thought, it's about how this guy thinks, and it's from his point of view solely, so I like the idea of starting a movie from thought, from the beginning of the first fear impulse that went, oh shit, I'm fucked. How do we get here? Mm. Yeah. It cost $750,000 to do that sequence alone. <laughs> was, it, was it worth it though? I mean, it's Does a it great sequence. It? It's fantastic, but like, yeah. you know. Yeah. And finally, the scene showing Marla and Tyler having sex were CGI. Mm-hmm. Both actors wore motion capture suits, assuming mm-hmm. various positions in the Kama Sutra. Nice. The images were then <laughs> manipulated to what we see on screen. So for me... Fincher uses CGI to aid the narrative, not to stand out or make things look impressive or mm. outrageous set pieces or anything like that. It blends in perfectly, and I think he uses it like no other director. Yeah. He uses it to aid the narrative. Yeah, it's almost unnoticeable sometimes. Mm-hmm. Matt, what about you? Mm. Andrew's question. What came to mind when I saw that question is there's this famous interview with Fincher where he says one thing he maintains, one thing that's the foundation of his career, is that people are perverts. 
and he kind of chuckles. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. on YouTube. You can yeah, find I've seen it. that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And honestly, that's what I think he brings, just the dark sensibility that this subject yeah. matter requires, which is, yeah, people are perverted. They'll watch this. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I just think other directors would have tried to soften it. They would have removed some of the violence or the more disruptive behavior. They would have cut out the sex. They would have tried to make the characters more likable. Yeah. They might have yeah. gone for a happier, more conventional ending. But I think what Fincher brings is just this toughness and this very particular odd humor to the material because mm-hmm. he doesn't care about characters being unlikable or yeah. Frank Beat a film being perverted if it makes him laugh. That's all he cares about. So, yeah, just this very particular, tough, strangely funny sensibility that the material needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's probably what it, why he's one of my favourite filmmakers, Fincher. Yeah. I love, I really, because I'm a purple. <laughs> 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 it, it was me, officer. <laughs> Red-handed. No, but I like the darkness. I like mm. the exploration of, like, human interactions, but, like, mm-hmm. with a mm-hmm. really dark underbelly. And, you know, everybody has that. It's mm-hmm. just we don't necessarily own up to that. And I think no. Fincher exposes that. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Westy, what about you? I think what he brings to it is a bitterness, that a, a bitterness mm. towards Fox and a bitterness towards how he was treated <laughs> on Alien 3. And it's yeah, a fuck yeah. you. He brings a fuck yeah. you to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does, uh, yeah. And, you know, should we keep that in? Keep it in. Should we mm, do that? Yeah. No, do it again. It's not like childish yeah. kind of reaction to something. You're not, he's not just spitting his dummy out. He's actually mm. turning around and going, nah, this is a real grown-up, mature fuck off. I'm making this, whether you like it or not. And it's gritty, but it's polished at the same time. It's dark, mm. but it makes sense. It's very, very confident. And that's what he brings to it. He brings a real feel and a real confidence to all of the material that I don't think anyone else could have done. And I think this is a complete reaction to the way he was treated on Alien 3. This is his film. Yeah, good point. Very good. I mean, even, I mean, it would be darkly funny if that was the only reason that he took this, knowing yeah, it was right. going to polarise everybody and disgust yeah. everybody and just to piss Fox off. I would love if he, that was the reason. Yeah, I just think it's got it's got that in it. It's loaded mm. like that. It's it got, is. It, yeah, it is. It's, it's there yeah. to say if you want to hear it, but he's also clever enough to kind of hide it. Mm. You know, it's not a xenomorph going slide. No. <laughs> Which would have been amazing if it was. Yeah. Like a yeah. face in his cave. So, a wondrous shown from Fincher, fully established after seven, he infused Fight Club with so much style and unique visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Definitely. The cast. A strong cast of characters and actors with real pedigree in the lead roles for Fight Club. Matt, it's over to you first. Well, I'm going to go with Norton because yes. the whole point of the narrator is that he's yin and yang with Tyler. Tyler is, as he says, he's everything that he isn't what he wants to be. Mm-hmm. And Norton has to represent that with his performance. You know, Pitt is verbose and charismatic and really theatrical. Norton can't be any of those mm-hmm. things. He, he's got to be a bit dull and a bit dour and not particularly interesting. Yeah. And to, yeah. be, to be fair to Norton, I think he is those things, but he's still engaging on screen. Mm-hmm. And he, he genuinely looks ill through so much of this like he does look like he hasn't slept for a week yeah he does mm-hmm. and you can tell this character he doesn't have any kind of life outside the support groups and he is an absolute corporate drone but <laughs> Norton still wins you over because he is funny like when you see him getting grabbed by Bob the look on his face bartering with Marla over who gets to have which support groups like everything in this film is really dark and uncomfortable and I think Norton's biggest achievement is he kind of eases you into the world with them yeah yeah 
And so when things sort of go really dark and he gets more and more violent, you know, like when he bares his teeth to you in that work meeting, yeah. when he when he just gives up, giving any kind of shit to anything yeah. his boss says from, like Norton is taking you on that journey really well. And he makes you think, well, this is interesting. Where is this character going to end up? And the place that he does end up, which is obviously absolutely mental, yeah. that sense that he's lost like all touch with reality and is completely yeah. floundering and panicking, like what is going on? Like Norton's performance is, is like pretty much the only thing that keeps me invested at that point. And mm-hmm. the last thing I'd say is like one thing he really, really is good at is that voiceover. This, yeah. this is, yeah, this is a great voiceover. The way he sells some of those signs, you know, Marla, the little scratch on the roof of your mouth that would heal if only you could stop tonguing it. Yeah. It's just yeah. like yeah. The, the contempt he gets not tonguing it. Like, oh, yeah. brilliant. Yeah, I really like Norton in this thing. He's excellent. He really sells the twist as well. I mean, it's just the way you going through it with him. His reaction mm. when his apartment's blown up, it's mm. hilarious. It is. Yeah. If you look at him, he's like wide-eyed and like, what yeah. the fuck? And yeah. He just, like, doesn't have a clue what's going on. He just really, he really sells it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. Yeah. To visually and subliminally show that the narrator and Tyler are fighting over the same body, both Norton and Pitt had different workout regimes. Oh, that's obvious. <laughs> you don't say it. Yeah. <laughs> Norton's goal was to look progressively weaker as the film goes on and Tyler takes hold, and Pitt decided to go the other way. Mm-hmm. Norton said, Brad got progressively bigger throughout the movie. He bulked up, got a tan and beautiful, while I became Gollum. he lost around 20 pounds for the role as well norton Mm. particularly coming from american history x yeah Yeah. oh yeah he's massive in that huge in that but it really works for the narrative as well it's like because tyler looks amazing by the end of it and he doesn't want Mm. to be him so it's that eternal struggle of like Mm. an internal struggle of like do you you still not want to look like me do you don't want to be me look at us now and he looks incredible by the end so it, Mm. it really works for the story it does yeah and that scene where the Tyler and the narrator up are hitting golf balls, that was not in the shooting script. So Norton and Pitt mm. were hitting balls after downing a few brewskis, having a few yeah. beers. So they were oh, a bit nice. pissed. So Fincher was just there and he's like, this looks great. So just roll the camera and they're actually hitting the catering truck. <laughs> 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 you see, just laughing. He's like, oh, yeah. great. I don't even think that all the camera's rolling on that. It's fantastic. I do know, though, at various points, Matt Damon and Sean Penn were both in frame to be the narrator. Okay. Um, yeah. But Fincher had seen The People vs. Harry Flint and just loved Ed Norton and that. And he right. said, and I think he means this as a compliment, but he said Ed Norton was the plainest actor in Hollywood. <laughs> I get that. I totally get I that. Do I, get thought, that. I, do, I do get yeah, that. He's really beige as an actor. You know he exactly is. what you're going to get. Yeah. Even in a Wes <laughs> Anderson film, he's the most yeah. beige in there. Yeah. But I thought it would have been on Primal Fear because that twist's incredible as well. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah. And then Norton himself, he said, I knew I wanted to be in the movie the minute I heard that we were going to say, fuck Martha Stewart. <laughs> not <laughs> <Yeah>. a fan. <laughs> no, no, obviously not. Okay, so Westy, yeah. it is over to you, one of the most iconic characters in recent memory. That's me. Um, <laughs> but I'd like it's Ian about, West. Yeah, I'd like to talk about Brad Pitt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's fantastic mm. in this, isn't he? He's so mm. brilliantly cast. He's having such a good time. And all my notes here, I've got Brad Pitt, I've got a section that just says, great hair, great clothes, great neck. That's all great it says. Can you? <laughs> <laughs> he's phenomenal in it. The speeches that he gives, just the little nods, the nuances to the character. He just, I look like you want to look, and I'm totally different to you in every single way. And that's what people see this film go, yeah. That's exactly who you are. That's yeah. exactly what he is. But he's not a dick with it. Like he's just mm. gracious with it as as the performance. He supports Norton. 
Mm-hmm. He supports Bonham Carter. He gives people room. He doesn't overtake a scene. He's not pretentious. He's, he's part of it all, and it really works. And you can tell that he gives a shit about doing it right, and he really does do it right. And if you go like Tyler Durden is one of the most iconic characters in cinema history, and he knows that, and he does yeah. it so, so well. It's easily one of his best performances for me, without a shadow of a doubt. So much charisma. Ridiculous yeah. amount. Yeah. It, I mean, it, just, it was tailor-made for yeah. Brad Pitt. It just yeah. bleeds out the screen, doesn't it? You just, it does, you just yeah. oh, God. Outrageous wardrobe that somehow he manages to pull off. Everything. Yeah. Everything yeah. he wears, you just go, all right, okay. I'm a fan of that coffee cup bathrobe. It's, a, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic. Even he makes he makes yellow gloves, yellow rubber gloves look all right. <laughs> if I wore nothing but marigolds, I'd be arrested. <laughs> Quite rightly. Yeah. <laughs> as well as getting in great nick for the part of Tyler Durden, Brad Pitt visited the dentist to have his front teeth chipped down to give mm. the exterior of someone who fights a lot. Yeah, yeah, it was cap, wasn't it? So he took the cap off so to show it was chipped. Yeah. Brilliant. On top of the mixed martial arts and boxing training, the actors went through both Pitt and Norton learned how to make soap. Hmm. Norton said, the truth is, we probably spent more time learning to make soap than we did train for anything else. Yeah. <laughs> well, he did. Yeah. I love that scene when he's in, like, John Lewis or something, or wherever it is, and he's just selling the soap. Bag, and yeah. he's just got his hand down, he's just, his pants are just, like, yeah. really low down. And he's really like, low down. No, well, thank you, Susan. <laughs> <Brilliant. laughs> selling their fat asses back to them. Yeah, it was beautiful. And you know the bit when Tyler explains how to make a homemade bomb? Yeah. That was yeah. intentionally incorrect just to prevent anyone what getting an idea. <laughs> okay, so this yeah. is how you make an actual bomb because their thinking was, well, the film's going to have more reach to people than the book did because if you read the book, the ingredients are actually accurate. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Terrifying. So if you do want wow. to build a bomb, just buy the book. No, well, we, we would not condone that. <laughs> no, no, we don't. Disclaimer, all the right movies. <laughs> that does not necessarily reflect the views of all the right movies. Matt, you're sacked. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to know how to make one, yeah. that's fair enough, but don't yeah. actually do it. <laughs> yeah, but Pitt wasn't the only person looked at for Tyler. Russell Crowe was another name at that time. Right. Gladiator. Right. Looking fucking incredible then as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Probably yeah, would be really good, that. really funny. Like if, you watch, if he was in like the nice guy's kind of character, but looked yeah. like he did in Gladiator, yeah. I think it might, maybe it, it could yeah, have worked. Yeah, maybe, yeah. But was ultimately chosen and was paid $17.5 million for the privilege, mm. in stark contrast to Norton getting $2.5 million. Wow. That's I would be fine with that. If it was me. You'd be fine with that. Uh, just turn around, Lee, look at Brad Pitt and go, yeah, Fair enough. fine. 17.5 yeah. sounds <laughs> yeah, about right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Extra 15 for you, not problem. <laughs> Stunt coordinator Mike Runyard said, Brad just turned up looking like that. That mm. was his deal. I didn't do anything to him. He said, I saw him using hand weights on set, but that was it. <laughs> and another stunt coordinator, Damon Caro, said, he's a genetic freak. Brad's got the ability to do whatever he wants. I mean, he was shredded for that film. Yeah. He definitely was. Yeah. Yeah. He's 36 in that as well. Ooh, good genes. Mm. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to talk about the third lead in the film, Helena Bonham Carter as mm-hmm. Marla. Yes. Mm-hmm. And this was the biggest surprise for me when revisiting the film. I'm just not a fan of Bonham Carter at mm. all. Oh, really? Mm. I don't know if, if it's just she's always in weird shit. Well, you don't like Tim Burton films anyway, so that's exactly. 90% of yeah. what she does. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 But this is the best part that I've seen Bonham Carter play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Marla is doing her own version of what the narrator is doing, I suppose. You know, screw society. I'll play mm. by my own rules. I'll uh-huh. steal other people's clothes and sell them. Yeah. And this is her way of, like, you know, a finger up to the system. Nice, yeah. nice. She's super cool at the start of the film, and she owns the narrator. But when she drops in and out of the film, being completely rejected by the narrator is really tough to watch. Mm. And she plays that yeah. very, very well. Yeah, I think the fragile Marla that she's hidden away is slowly being coaxed out by Tyler or the narrator's rejection. Mm. And the full extent of her pain only becomes really apparent on rewatches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do have a little problem is that I don't really like that she becomes subservient to Tyler. It feels like this film is pushing the notion that you have to be manly or masculine to tame this woman and make them mm. obey. It just that's just how it seems to me. The my interpretation of what's yeah, presented that. in the film, I, get that, yeah. I don't yeah, really I like fine. that too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but overall, I think she is a breath of fresh air. I mean, she rivals Pitt's performance for me. Yeah, she's as good. I think mm-hmm. there were a number of people in the frame for the role: Reese Witherspoon, Winona Ryder, Janine Garofalo, Julia Louis Dreyfus, and Courtney Love were all considered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It looked like Courtney Love was going to get the part at first. She was in a relationship with Norton at the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But complications between them and their relationship distanced her from the mm. part. I thought she, I think she would have been really good. I could see Courtney Love in that. It yeah. feels tailor made for her. Yeah. It does, She's really yeah. good at Man on the Moon. She's got she that is, yeah. look as well, yeah. hasn't she? Yeah. She just yeah, yeah. I think she would have mm. been great. Reese Witherspoon was the studio's choice, but she turned it down because it was too dark. Mm-hmm. Bonham Carter was Finch's choice because he loved her in The Wings of a Dove. Right. From right. 1997, the British period romance drama. Seems okay. like a natural fit. Bonham Carter based a performance on Judy Garland's on-stage persona. Yeah. And asked mm. the right-handed makeup artist to use her left hand when she was doing her makeup. Nice. Thinking oh, that nice. it would give Marla that kind of like, I couldn't give a shit attitude. Yeah. yeah. Just oh, slapdash. Yeah. Really yeah. good. Really works. So three great performances in the lead roles of this mm-hmm. love triangle slash love straight line. Yeah. <laughs> this episode of All the Right Movies is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work and not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who have seen what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And a special offer to all ATRM listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash ATRM. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ATRM. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of All The Right Movies. The Middle before the second act of Fight Club, Tyler and the narrator's relationship blossoms and they establish an underground club and give it a name. Mm-hmm. Westy, you're up. That sequence where they're just <laughs> walking in mm. and it's like he's seen Goodfellas and he's like, I'm just going to do that, but I'm going to make it punk rock and I'm going to make <laughs> yeah. it so much quicker. And it's like the Sex Pistols doing 
Goodfellas. It's just like boom, <laughs> da, 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 and the soundtrack kicks in at just the right point. Like Matt was talking about that voiceover, but that voiceover works here. Mm. It was on the tip of everyone's tongue. Tyler and I just gave it a name, and yeah. all of them lines are just bang, 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 and then that Great. soundtrack kicks in. And it's just the way the camera moves around to every character. There's mirrors, there's reflections, there's just it, it's just impeccably done, beautiful down the basement, and there we go, and then we get the rules of Fight Club, and it's just. Mm. wonderful so iconic it is yeah. really iconic the first rule of fight club you do not talk about fight club second rule of fight club is you do not talk about it. it's like mm. oh fucking yes the mm. first two rules are exactly the same and it's like <laughs> no shirts no shoes unless you bob with massive bitch tits yeah. and it's yeah, disgusting yeah. so keep yeah. your shirt on <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah it's it's just it had that really visceral energy to it mm. and you are like scared of what they're doing scared of where they're going you don't really want to be part of it but you want to watch it and it's then he says if it's your first night at fight club mm. you have yeah. to fight you have to fight yeah. Yeah. and you're that. like shit we are here because you walk in uh, mm. behind them you walk in it fincher puts you in that space and says and you just want to watch what's going on but then he yeah. actually makes you fight he makes you yeah. because you can't avoid it you are part of it now and you are in and you feel that i remember the first time i watched it going oh this is cool and it's like no it's your first night you have to fight oh fuck shit yeah i can't just have a little yeah. look yeah and see yeah. if it's Can for me just check yeah. it out? Oh. <laughs> and then just leave if i don't like it <laughs> yeah no well, I'll, I'll pay this week but maybe not next week i'll see what the crack is no <laughs> it's free and you have to get the shit kit out of you yeah. okay amazing brilliant <laughs> i'm involved wonderful love it and Fincher was inspired by MMA and UFC that was just beginning to build momentum at the end of the century. UFC started in like 1993, I think. Right. And Fincher said it was so raw. You see someone get hit with the palm of somebody else's hand and their mm. nose just moves an inch and a half across the face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's like, I'm doing that and I'm putting that on film. And it does have that feel to it. Then when someone's picked up and slammed to the floor, yeah, it's that mm. slap. And yeah. it's right there. It's the sound design. It's mm. amazing. Throughout the film's amazing. Really visceral, yeah. One bit I've always really, really liked is after the rules are given, after the fights, that's when you sort of get this sense of this, this thing is spreading and yeah. it's becoming big and it's its own thing and it, and it shouldn't at all. Like, what is the appeal of all this? There's, there's no yeah, appeal. Yeah, whether it's a good thing or not. It's spreading yeah. like the cancer spreads. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, great. Like yeah. zero appeal to like get me face smacked in. <laughs> but... But I do love when the narrator's just getting on in this day-to-day life and he sees that one guy he works with, they give the little look between them and the way it gives him the nod when he yeah, brings yeah. out the coffee. Yeah, it's, it's it's starting to get to seven because it's this little secret going on that seems quite cool. And if you know what these little nods and winks mean, you understand where the cuts and bruises come for. That means you're in on it and it's always good to be mm-hmm. in on something. Yeah. But but that is a seven because this is how cults start. This is how yeah. like unchecked dangerous ideology can spread. And this scene is a really good illustration of how easy that can happen when there are no rules apart from the ones, you know, Tyler gives, which are, you know, rules by society's normal standards. Yeah, and, and I love the conversation that the narrator and Tyler have before they get in the bus, like, what celebrity would you fight? Hemingway and Shatner. Like, yeah. two yeah. polar yeah. opposites there would not have been able to guess the gun- he was going to bring up Shatner. I'd fight yeah. William Shatner. <laughs> William Shatner. Shatner. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> but it's a really interesting scene because you see the narrator, he's starting to take on some of Tyler's mannerisms and ideals, the way mm-hmm. he's kind of like hanging on to the loop of that bus just with that bit more confidence. Like he, yeah. he's just trying to change ever so slightly. He's got a bit more of an edge to him. But it's yeah. when that guy pushes like through them, like really rudely, just, oh, excuse me. I find it really interesting that they both ignore that completely. Just mm-hmm. with a little bit of regression that don't react to, that don't use that guy's attitude as an excuse to start another yeah, fight. Yeah, he, he's in yeah. Fight Club in the next scene, though, isn't he? That's who they're beating up. Yeah. Ah, yes, yeah, yeah. 
Well, I like the sequence when Taylor gets acquainted with Marla. <laughs> Shall we say? Yeah. Yeah. In a certain Very way. Very diplomatic, that. <laughs> Very good, mate. Very good. I really love it when Tyler creeps up to the phone and kind of like picks it <laughs> up when she's yeah. talking. Yeah. Really, really funny. Great physical comedy when Marla falls off the bed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Norman Wisdom, fantastic platform. <laughs> I love it. Christ knows what Tyler is cooking for her on that stove, just plopping unknown items into this bubbling vat. <laughs> yeah. It looks yeah. absolutely disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. There's one particular line of dialogue in amongst obviously all the other depravity in the film that mm. really stands out. Mm-hmm. And it's when Marla says, and you know, and for the faint of heart, volume down, block your ears. You know, it's relevant because it's in the film. I'm not yeah. to be just being outrageous for the sake of it. No. It's fair enough. If we were covering Toy Story, I wouldn't be saying this line. <laughs> of course, you wouldn't. <laughs> I would, I would hope not. <laughs> if we ever do cover it, though, I'll try and get it in somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Marla says, "I haven't been fucked like that since grade school." Yeah, yeah. Obviously. Outrageous. Mm. I mean, yeah. the implications of that, outrageous. Yeah. The original line from the novel was, I want to have your abortion, mm. which yeah. again, oh, mm. grim. But producer Laura Ziskin grossly objected to that line and mm. asked Fincher to change it. He did on the proviso that she didn't ask him to change it again. Yep. He came up with the grade school line, which Ziskin felt was like actually worse, yeah. but she couldn't go back on her word. Yeah. My opinion, two outrageous lines. Yeah. I can't decide which one's worse. Yeah, n- yeah, neither can I. But it's very mm. Paulinic in that delivery. It's very yeah, much it is. his yeah. kind of sense of humour, I guess, if mm-hmm. you call it a yeah. sense of humour. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very, very dark. Very dark, yeah. And apart from that, to get the sound of Tyler and Marla having sex, apparently Pitt and Bonham Cord spend an alleged three days recording sex noises together so Fincher would have enough to work with. <laughs> three, three days? days. Three days? <laughs> That's I don't know. That's I mean, too I, much. that's too long. That's, that's but then again, it is Fincher. Like it should yeah, be exactly, thirty. Maybe yeah. I don't know. I don't know what he's looking for. They couldn't have been doing it for like every single minute for three days. <laughs> no, and literally, no, let's not. go in for an hour and try yeah. this. Let's have a discussion yeah. about it and try this. But like some of those Jesus noises Christ. are outrageous. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it sounds like somebody's being murdered in that room. Yeah, the moment when Tyler opens the bedroom door and he's wearing that one rubber glove. Yeah, is. I mean, it's really, really funny. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. It's really fucking funny. She just funny. falls off the bed in the background. Yeah. yeah. What on earth have they been up to? I Nothing know, but I that know. glove. Yeah, I, I have no idea. D- doesn't bear thinking about. It does. That's it what does. makes it brilliant, though, because Where it could be. Where did that dildo go to? Yeah, mm. it, it could be nothing or it could be everything. Like, yeah. you have no, no idea. Rubber glove. He does say that she needs a wash, so maybe he's trying to keep himself clean. <laughs> God. <laughs> Jesus My Christ. God. Can't believe I just said that. Yeah. But it is kind of a manifestation of the narrator's mind. He can get up to all sorts of heinous acts, and there's mm. no judgment. So, you know, rubber glove straight in there. Yeah. Laura Ziskin, again, the producer, she was Hated horrified yeah. at this it. scene. Yeah. And she demanded it to be removed, but she changed her mind when it got a huge reception from test audiences, yeah. which, you know, mercenary. Uh-huh. I mean, it's an outrageous thing. It is, but it's because Brad Pitt looks so good when he opens that door. <laughs> Do you want to finish her yeah, off? You want to finish her off? Oh. If, if it'd been meatloaf, meatloaf, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that would never have made it in. You've got to look that good to pull that off. Gives a new meaning to the word meatloaf as well. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Ooh. And there are more clues here as well that Tyler and the narrator are one and the same. The sex noises stop when the phone rings and the narrator mm. picks up the phone. Yeah. Yeah. After the sequence, the fellas steal fat to make soap. Disgusting stuff. Yeah. Mm. Tyler dishes out his signature chemical burn and Cornelius gets reacquainted with Bob. Mm-hmm. 
We're talking about the sequence where Tyler tightens his grip on society, starting with his brush with Lou. Mm. Westy, over yeah. to you. Oh, this fight sequence. Well, if you call it a fight sequence, it is so savage. Mm-hmm. And oh. one thing I really hate is like a square on punch in film. Mm-hmm. Where it's like straight to the nose, straight, or straight down. to the mouth. Like, yeah. Straight on the teeth. And there's yeah. two mm-hmm. of them here mm-hmm. and you feel it. He's like, oh, oh, and he's like, yeah, but it's just, it's his performance again. The way he puts his hand, it's so obvious that he puts his hand out to stop the narrator coming in, to stop anyone mm-hmm. else coming in. I don't need you. I'm going to be Tyler for this because yeah. we yeah. need to be Tyler. And he's like, I'll say it again. Oh, shit, I lost it. And he's just, he's, he's glutton for punishment mm-hmm. and he loves it. And he just gets oh, the shit But then it's when it comes back and you think Lou's won and you, he's made a fool out with Tyler in front of everybody and he just gets his own back in the way that he gets his own back towards anyone in the whole film. You don't mm-hmm. know where I've been. You don't know where yeah. I've been, Lou. And he's just mm-hmm. blah, 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 it's mm-hmm. all over his face and it's just splashing down. People are then puking up that lovely cutaway where people are just vomiting into a bin. And you're like, oh, God, this is so fucking oh, gritty and grimy. And, and they're just like, just use the fucking basement. Just use the fucking basement. Mm-hmm. Like, you should join our club. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it is, it's very, very much like where the film, like it flips at this point. It, huh. it goes to another level. It goes to a, a, another place where you're like, it's getting more violent. It's getting more intense. There's more people involved in this. This isn't just a throwaway between two people. Mm-hmm. I don't know where else this can go because this is now incredibly like dark. It's incredibly violent, but you are strapped in at this point and you, yeah. a, you accept that what you've seen and Fincher knows that he's doing that. You are part of fight club at this point and you're, you're part of what's going on and you have to strap in and see where it's going to go from here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a grotesque scene. Mm. And it leads us to our second question from an ATRM patron. Okay. Okay. On the mic, we have Adam Yates. Hello, Adam. Hello, Adam. Hello, Adam. Adam says, I love how Fincher movies almost smell through the screen in yeah. terms of creating an immersive and visceral scene. He is number one for Adam. What okay. scenes or movies not made by Fincher have the similar effect for you guys? Mm. Right. Great question, Adam. Thank you. Yes. And it's something that has been peppered throughout our podcast for the last four years. Really, Westy, mm-hmm. you mentioned it's something very similar when we talked about Seven. Seven, yeah. yeah. All those years back. Mm-hmm. 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 I 100% agree with Adam, which is one of the reasons that prevents me from coming back to this film too often, to be honest. Mm. It makes me feel dirty and grimy and grotty, mm. right. sick and right. ill. Take the off. And it's absolute credit to Fincher and the production designers because the look of the film is so authentically disgusting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For me, the granddaddy of them all is the final scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Dinner scene when Sally is strapped to the chair at the dinner table. I think a distinction should be made between films that are just kind of schlocky violence with limbs, eyeballs flying about all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the ones that have like a really grim atmosphere that pervades the screen. Fight Club does the latter, although there's some really disgusting moments. And so does that scene in Texas Chainsaw. It's not violent, really. There's nothing disgusting, really, in the frame. But it's the atmosphere that the scene invokes and the sense that Sally is completely doomed. Mm. And the close-up on her eyeballs help with that as well. Yeah, Yeah. it's the production design as well that really adds to to everything. It's everything coming together, not just where the camera's pointed and things flying around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Westy, what about you? Yeah, I, I get a very similar sense from... Nicholas Wine and Reffin films, uh, okay. Bronson springs to mind. Like okay, I can yeah, feel yeah, yeah. that that gritty mm. vibe to that. Only God Forgives is very similar. But then Ugh. earlier films like Papillon with Steve McQueen, mm-hmm. when yeah. he's, he's locked away, I kind of feel that grimness. Midnight Express is another one. I was one. just about to say, yeah. yeah the it's, same. it's got that real fucking hell, I don't want to watch this again. The first yeah. Saw film, I think, has that vibe. Mm-hmm. 
um, where you can kind of just reach out and touch it. And uh, one that's come up recently that I think hopefully is going to get another sequel is 28 Days Later. And I think that okay. really has that vibe to it. I watched that again the other day, and it's really mm. gritty and really fucking comes out of the screen. Yeah, it lives mm. and breathes, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you, Matt? Well, one of the first ones that came to mind for me was The Road from a few years ago. Oh, nice. Okay. John Hillcourt, yeah. John Hillcourt, yeah, which is just, you know, if anyone hasn't seen it, it's basically about the end of the world, and it's a father and son trying to find some kind of place where they might find some solace or a bit of a community, and it's yeah. so bleak but it kind of seeps into your bones i mean it's a brilliant film but you get to the end it's beautiful but you just want to like wrap yourself in a blanket after to warm yourself up you just feel the cold coming (laughs) out coming out the screen um one from a couple of years ago which i don't know how many people will have seen this but there was this british horror film called censor which was set to you in the 1980s and it really it it, it really evokes britain in the 1980s doesn't it the kind of rundown it definitely does it's era yeah when everyone smokes indoors it was like Mm -hmm. you can almost smell like the steel cigarette smoke yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. thought sensor was great everyone should check that out and just to balance out a more positive one a couple of years ago i thought licorice pizza I just felt oh, like nice. I'd, I'd been yeah. sunshine. taken back LA, that, isn't it? Yeah. to the LA sunshine of the 70s. Yeah. You, yeah. Know, <sighs> you could smell smell the dope like in the, the sweet summer air. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was yeah, brilliant. Yeah. So it that really one. reminded me of Lebowski, actually, that whole yeah, vibe. Yeah, oh, totally. Uh-huh. Did, definitely, yeah. yeah. So Licorice Peter to kind of lighten the mood a little bit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, mm. very surprising that you wanted to lighten the mood. <laughs> Not a comment on you, Matt. No. <laughs> Fincher said Lurid was definitely one of the things that we wanted to do in Fight Club. Mm. And See it. He yeah. does it. He does. Of course he does. Thanks very much for your question, Adam. Yes, thank you, Matt. Keep them coming, everyone. Matt, what about you mm. in this sequence? It's after this for me, because what Fight Club does really well, one to our sequences. It does those brilliantly. Oh, yeah. And so you, you go in here when Tyler gives everyone that, that assignment, their homework. Brilliant. Start a fight with a stranger that you then have to lose. Yeah. And it's a really funny scene because most people's natural inclination, if someone tries to start a fight with you, is run off. Like someone tries to start a fight with you, well, yeah, yeah. I'm not just going to get out of there, obviously. Yeah. And so it's, it is probably just the most out and out funniest scene in the film, particularly the guy trying to get the priest into the oh, fight. That's so good. <laughs> Like he's so he's he's trying to be so polite. Like, uh, excuse me, you you sped me with your water. Like yeah. as if he's going to get an apology out of him. <laughs> yeah. Like just run away, don't get involved. But you know, people say it's the ones you don't expect, and it's great that it's the priests of all people who can turn to violence the easiest. It's and brilliant. He says sorry, doesn't he? <laughs> and then runs away. <laughs> yeah, but it's when he knocks the Bible to the ground and then puts the spears yeah, the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's really petty. It's really petty, but really funny. If you look as well, the camera could completely vibrate. It, it, sh- the it shakes as Cameron was laughing, like, wasn't he? pissing himself. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Really funny. Like the car yeah. salesman as well. He gets sent on his arse and that shoe goes mm. flying in the air. That's brilliant. That. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Um, yeah, brilliant. And then this idea of homework assignments of feet and the other Montreal sequence I love, which is all those moments of like, I suppose, civil disobedience is, is the best way of describing mm-hmm. when, yeah. you know, wiping the videotapes and Blockbuster, yeah. feeding pigeons laxatives so they'll shit all over like the corporate yeah, cars the yeah. next morning. Yeah, yeah. And those headlines you see Taylor snipping out, you know, monkeys have been shaved, performance yeah, artists yeah. molested. It's not yeah. necessarily life and death stuff. Feces yeah. catapult, I believe it was. Feces catapult, yeah. <laughs> 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 it's just it, the inconvenience of it. Oh, it's, that, it's, it's, that, it's not going to kill anyone, but it feels subversive. And it, it's yeah. that line. Is this actually hurting someone? 
Or is it still okay to laugh at this? Because it is quite funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like the really shocking scene where the narrator becomes Jack smirking revenge and he takes it out on his boss. Oof. Oh, yeah. At first, when he clenches his fist, you think the boss is done for. But mm. even more shocking than that, he beats himself up to a bloody pulp. Mm. And it's such a brutal scene. The effects work is great again, Rob Bortine. And it's Norton at his best for me in the film. Mm -hmm. Physically, yeah. it's incredible. It's it is. Physically yeah. amazing. Yeah. But the irony is, on rewatches, you realize that this is what people see when they see the narrator in a fight with Tyler all the way through the film. Mm -hmm. He's beating himself up. Yeah. He even says that in the voiceover. For some reason, I thought of my first fight with Tyler. Yeah. Mm. That freeze frame is a freeze frame as well. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It's a massive sign. So he's got loads of practice doing this. Because he's done it countless of times before, we just didn't know it on a first rewatch. Yeah. And when he walks out of that office, like he owns the joint, mm. yeah. whistling Murray leaves with <laughs> yeah. loads of office equipment. What a smug <laughs> bastard. It's just yeah. after he hits the shelves and he's sat down, but he just hits himself twice. Just boom, yeah. Boom, yeah. 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 <laughs> Whoa, really shocking. Yeah. Because it's played for laughs, really, I suppose, but it's really tough to watch. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. Grace. So now that Fight Club has a corporate sponsorship, the city begins to pay. Mm. The, the screenplay for Fight Club was adapted from Chuck Palahniuk's debut novel of the same name from 1996. Yeah. It was mm -hmm. adapted by an unfamiliar name in the world of screenwriting, Jim Olds. It was his debut writing credit, yeah. and he only has one other to his name, and that is Jumper from 2008. Right. Yeah. Okay. Unusual. Mm -hmm. So thoughts on the screenplay, and I'll take her away. I think it's a smart bit of writing, but to a point for me. Mm. Right. Bound by societal conventions, the narrator subconsciously strips away everything that is holding him down and making him unfulfilled. It talks about alienation, conformity, emasculation, wild consumerism, fear, rage, toxic masculinity. Yeah. And that masculinity is relied on very heavily. To go back to what Fincher said about human nature being hunter-gatherers, which has been stripped away, the narrator reverts to the most barbaric of activity to make him feel alive. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's a little juvenile because... These are very big, broad themes without too much nuance. I think there's just too much in there going on to delve too deeply into all of the themes for me. Right, okay. And what it does to tackle these perceived issues is is quite childish for me. Nothing permanent, just Neanderthal replacement for the narrator's empty soul. And, you know, I get it. It's just It just doesn't really work for me. Mm -hmm. I don't really know what the point of the film is. What is it trying to say? Mm. Uh, but, uh, of course, that's completely subjective. Like you said at the top, Westy, mm -hmm. you either love it or you hate it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't work for me on this level. Right, okay. Mm -hmm. I also think that the film was completely misinterpreted by macho blokes who wanted to start yeah. fight clubs and yeah. look like Brad Pitt because yeah. it looked cool. Yeah. yeah. And I remember people in our circle talking about fight clubs, absolutely wanting to start yeah. fight clubs, yeah. absolute clowns. Yeah, yeah. ridiculous. But of course, Pitt, I mean, who wouldn't want to look like that guy? Yeah. So, you know, I understand from a certain respect, which does bring me to a quick, embarrassing anecdote. Brilliant. <laughs> Don't make it quick. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's get the full lead out, out, shall yeah. we? <laughs> Illustrate it. Here we go. Okay, so I went to Prague in the, like the early 2000s with some friends oh, for, yeah. you know, long weekends of booze and John was there. Yeah. And we were in this sunglasses shop. <laughs> <laughs> that's of the end you of were. the story. I know the story. I know this. I tried on some red lens glasses. 
<laughs> I don't know why, but and because I, I wasn't really a massive fan of this film, but I was like hungover, bleary eyed, and I was really unsure on these glasses. Red lenses is ridiculous. John and somebody else said that I looked like Pitt in Fight Club, which totally swung the vote for me. <laughs> Purchased. Didn't even check out which they were. <laughs> I don't think I did. I was like, oh, Pitt in Fight Club. I'm straight in there for these then. <laughs> That's all you need. <laughs> As soon as I stepped out of the shop, the public pointed and laughed at how ridiculous <laughs> these things were. As soon as I stepped out of the shop, ah, ridiculous pit and fly club. <laughs> but I mean, I wore them for the rest of the weekend. Nightclubs, in the rain, in yeah. bed. Yeah. <laughs> fight clubs, nightclubs, doesn't matter. Any clubs. <laughs> Any clubs. <laughs> yes. So uh, that's maybe a reason why I didn't come back to the film so much. <laughs> well, yeah. Out of embarrassment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, what mm. about you in the screenplay? Yeah, I think I've been like pretty positive about the film up to now, but the writing is one of the, the downfalls for me because, okay. like I said, it, it's weird he's only did two of the films. Like, I genuinely thought he died. Like, he died young. That's why mm-hmm. he, he didn't have much of a career. So it's Still a weird, yeah, weird career to get your head around. Mm-hmm. So I think for your debut script to be the adaptation of this cult novel, which is notoriously difficult in all kinds of ways, you've got to admire that ambition. But I think the ambition has got the better of them. And when it works, I think it only works on surface level because the issue I have is I just don't find it as clever or profound as it thinks it is. Because one thing I'd say about Fight Club is, for better or worse, it does have a sense of a film that thinks quite a lot of itself and mm-hmm. thinks it's pretty edgy. And I think part of that is where you said the way that some people have misinterpreted it and kind of yeah. latched on like like the Andrew Tate's of this world, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking would, that, yeah. Would be, oh, Fight Club's my favourite film. Uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if it is edgy, and, and there is some edginess to it, it's how Fincher presents it on screen because I think scratch the surface and I just don't think there's much underneath to get excited no, about one way I or don't. another. You know, the dialogue is great in the sense that it's tailor-made for actors. You know, this is your life and it's ending one minute at a time. Come, yeah. Coming out of the mouth of Pitt, that's amazing. Of course. But, you know, it's very shallow. And, you know, you know when you go around someone's house and they've got live, laugh, love stenciled on the wall. Ugh. Fight Club is Can't like... stand that. I know. Fight Club is like that, but for goths, some of the dialogue in this. <laughs> it, you think that, that's made of being stenciled on a wall. It, it's this opinion that Fight Club is this great satire on society. And I just think, is it though? Like the things you want to end up on you. I don't dispute that at all. Not saying it's yeah. false, but I just don't think that's a particularly satirical or profound point. I don't think it's anything new, is it? No, it's not. You know, possessions don't amount much. Well, yeah. You know, I think yeah. I've known that forever. Didn't need Fight Club mm-hmm. to come along and tell me that. So I don't find it as thought provoking or as profound or deep as a lot of people do. And I think there's this conflict at the heart of the film where so much of the film is saying, don't let your life get distracted by big, shiny, consumerist things. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Fight Club is a big, shiny, consumerist thing. <laughs> and it's not to say a film can't be both. It's not to say it can't hold itself up as the thing it's satirizing. But I think the writing has to be much smarter to be able to do that. And I just don't yeah. think the writing here is that smart. So like I say, credit where credit's you. It's an ambitious attempt. I love the dialogue. I just think it, it's quite hollow underneath all that really memorable dialogue yeah it's a good uh duality there matt because it's not as if it's like a jim jarmusch or a andy warhol film no. it's a big budget fox yeah. film yeah massive corporation yeah exactly you know brad pitt looking amazing mm-hmm. yeah exactly okay westy you've remained silent to your credit <laughs> mm. over to you what are your thoughts on the writing hold on 
Let's just get me head around. No, no, I'll just hold on a second. I'm just getting my head around. The, okay. 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 Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I mm. totally appreciate your points. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to defend it with everything that I've got because <laughs> I do think that it has a level of intelligence and it have a, it has a level of looking at itself and satire within itself. And it knows it doesn't take itself too seriously, but it's a message that needed to be said at the time when it was said, it was the year 2000 was just happening. Everyone mm. was confused. There was corporations everywhere. The internet was just fucking blown up. Nobody knew what to do, where to go. There was no identity. There was no cultural identity. There was no such thing as a career. You didn't know what you wanted to do. And Brad Pitt, he's, he's sitting there going, hey, we're all going to be raised on television. I think we're all going to be movie gods and rock stars, but we're not going to be. You, your fucking life's a disappointment. And you go to the cinema and there's a big budget film with Brad Pitt telling you that what you believe in, you're not a maniac. Like everyone thinks that it's, it's, it's true. It's actually happening in front of you. And what it's trying to say and what it's trying to do is bring down everything that is a problem. I love Paul Nook's book. I love a lot of Paul Nook's books. I love his writing and he's no, he's not mature, but he's not immature in what he's trying to say. What he's trying to do, he's trying to do it with a kind of a boyish charm, I guess. And how do you want us to be? How literate do you want us to be? Do I have to I have to be Jim Jarmusch then? I have to shoot it in black and white and, and spend 20 grand on it just for you to take it fucking seriously. <laughs> that's aimed at me then. No, but that's the point of, of Fight Club. It's aimed at both of you. But it's, that's the point of Fight Club <laughs> is that it's a big budget and it fucks itself over by talking about itself in a parody of itself. That's why it's so good. That's why it's so successful. That's why Fincher totally understands. Yeah, the writing is immature, but Fincher brings immaturity to it and nails it. Absolutely nails it. This says everything I think that Fincher I wanted does. Yeah, to I say. Agree. Yeah, I agree with that. So for me, I'm not going to say that the writing's bad. It's impossible to translate everything in that novel for it to make sense. And yeah, it does seem hollow and it does seem light in some of the things that they're trying to touch on. But I think for the things that they're really trying to get across, they really get that across and it works for mm. me and I'll celebrate it every day of the week. Hey, that's mm. your opinion, Westy. Thank you, bro. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the writer of the novel, Chuck Polanuk, was inspired to write the book based on a few different experiences. You mentioned one at the top about going to church, Westy. Yep. Mm. There was another occasion when he was going camping with his friends and he went to a nearby tent and asked the guys to turn the noise down, though, being particularly noisy. And he promptly got beaten to a pulp. Yeah, they kicked the shit over him, right? And he, went, he mm-hmm. didn't go back to work after that. And, and he yeah. went back to work, right, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And he was astounded to find that nobody Not asked no him asked about him. his mangled face. Yeah, yeah. He said, I realised that if you look bad enough, people would not want to know what you did in your spare time. Yeah. I mean, I'd say you both need to read the novel, but I know that's falling on deaf ears. It's absolutely <laughs> pointless to even approach That's that. not going to happen for me. Matt might. I might yeah, Matt, if you, yeah. you read it, and then just yeah. let, let us know what you think, because the depth <laughs> that it goes to, like, it I'm, works. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is in the book. It works. Yeah. If you just let me know, you know, bullet points. Yeah. <laughs> the one page you're Matt. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. And finally, Paul Anuk's chronic insomnia helped shape some of the ideas of the novel mm-hmm. as well. So mm-hmm. he's poured a lot into it. Yeah. And Fincher drew inspiration and heavy, heavy parallels between Fight Club and The Graduate. And in, right. the, in The Graduate, mm. Dustin Hoffman's character, Ben, is at odds in the world, doesn't know what to do with his future. Fincher said The Fight Club was like a 90s inverse of this story, which I can kind of see the influence yeah, of yeah. that, but mm, yeah. not, not to the point where it's um, affecting the narrative as much. No. Yeah. Because of that, they did float that idea that they'd get Buck Henry, who wrote The Graduate, to come on board to write this as well. Right. But oh. Plunick disagreed. Right which is why he went to Jim Ools, who nicknamed, no idea why, but he's nicknamed Professor Peculiar. 
<laughs> so I went to him. Great. And right. as it turned out, Ulls and Finch had mutual friends who put the two together to do the screenplay. Yeah. Fincher did help with rewrites, as did Norton Pitt, Cameron Crowe, and Andrew yeah. Kevin Walker, who wow. wrote Seven. Cameron Crowe? Cameron Crowe, wow. yeah. wonder <laughs> which bit he did. <laughs> Detective Andrew, Detective Kevin, and Detective Walker are the three ah, policemen. Ah, right, yeah. Which are named after Andrew Kevin Walker, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. The original screenplay didn't include a voiceover. Fincher said that it needed a voiceover to make it funny. Yes. This is his yeah. description of the first act. He said, it's not a movie. It's not even TV. It's not even channel changing. It's like pull down windows. We've <laughs> got to come up with a way that the camera can illustrate things at the speed of thought. It's almost conversational. It's as erratic in its presentation as the narrator is in his thinking. Yeah. It's and straight. That's perfect. Yeah. It, it, yeah, but it's straight to the audience as well. I mean, it's like... Mm-hmm. Every other film that's done that before this has been taking the piss out of itself, like Alfie or Ferris Bueller, when mm-hmm. they break the fourth wall and they're trying to talk directly to the audience. This yeah. is more like Silence of the Lambs, except they're just a bit more into the lens. Yeah, closer. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Joe Polnick loved the adaptation. He said that it streamlined his plot and as a result made it much more effective. Mm. Yeah. And there is quite a shocking story attached to the publicity trail for the film. Polonik was on the road he was promoting the film when he got a call from his publicist who told him that she just got a call from like local police mm-hmm. to say that his dad might be dead. Right. Oh, shit. When he made some further calls, he found out that his dad was in fact dead. He'd responded to a Lonely Hearts ad in the paper and took this woman out on a date. And her recently released from jail ex-husband followed them home, shot them both and burned down the house. Jesus. Christ almighty. Yeah. So he says that that story kind of still follows him and is an intrinsic part of Fight Club and the film. Mm, yeah. And now for our final question from an ATRM patron. Mm-hmm. This one comes from Stuart Rea. Mm. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Stuart. Oh, hello, Stuart. Stuart asks, besides the first rule of Fight Club, what do you mm. think is the most memorable quote from the film? Mm. Mm. Lords to choose from, but I'm going to go for one of my favourite scenes, which we don't have time to cover elsewhere, and it's when Tyler drags out the guy from the convenience store and puts the gun yeah. in his head. Brilliant. Brilliant scene. And it's the bit where after he's run off and Tyler's justifying what he's done to the narrator. He says, tomorrow will be the most beautiful day of Raymond K. Hessel's life. His breakfast mm-hmm. will taste better than any meal you and I have ever tasted. Yeah. Great. Always loved that. Wonderful line. Mm. Yeah, I was, con- I was confused with that scene when I very first watched it, thinking, mm. that's fucking horrible, what you do that yeah. for? Yeah. And then you realise... He's liberated him. Yeah. yeah. I think there's just loads. I, I don't even think that when you quote a film, this isn't really a quote from a film. It's more of a statement within the world that the film exists. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. a, you've got to understand Fight Club to quote from it, I think. You kind of yeah, just yeah. A- adapt it to everyday life. You can't just pick it up. Yeah. No, exactly. I think, you know, they're, they're not your fucking khakis, you're not the car you drive, you're not the money in your wallet. I think that whole speech is incredible. Um, yeah. But I also just think I want you to hit me as hard as you can. Just it's <laughs> such a simple line like that. Yeah. But it's the way it's that I cadence. want you to hit me yeah. as hard as you can. And you're like, wow. Yeah. And you remember that and it reverberates. Mm-hmm. So pretty much for me, <laughs> every line is pretty <laughs> much memorable. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's the standout for me. Uh, the, the, the speeches, just the big sweeping statements, you know, when they're, when they're made and they do land. Great. Well, I mean, mine is very, very basic, and it comes from not being too familiar with the film for years, having only seen it maybe once or twice. Right. As Stuart pointed out, the first rule of Fight Club line, obviously, iconic. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's the one that stuck out for me, and I'm not going to make any excuses for it. It is nice big cock. <laughs> 
brilliant. A nice big <laughs> There it is. Very memorable. Yep. And there are very few situations where you say that and you don't get a laugh. Yeah. No. And you're saying the writings are mature. Have a word with yourself. To finish on the screenplay, all said that Helena Bonham Carter's mother didn't want her to do the film because she thought the screenplay was a pollutant. <laughs> Which, of course, it is. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So the second member of the crew we're talking about is Jeff Cronenworth. Yes. Cinematographer. Mm. Mm. Over to you, Westy. What do you think of his work? I think it's fantastic, but I think it is very, very David Fincher. I think it looks mm. very, very similar to Seven. And uh, Darius Conchie mm-hmm. shot that, and you can tell that Fincher knows exactly what he wants, and it's very, very similar to other directors that we work that, that we've spoke about, um, who have a, a definitive look and a definitive style. You know, like Wes Anderson, everyone knows that Robert Yeoman shoots it, but it's Wes Anderson, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, David yeah, Fincher's yeah, yeah. David Fincher. You could look at of Seven, course, yeah, yeah, and then you look at Fight Club, and then you look at even like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. They're very similar vibe very similar mm-hmm. energy very similar tone it's the director's vision isn't it it definitely is and i think jeff cronenworth does an incredible job i think he's, he's absolutely fantastic in this i think he delivers exactly what he needs to deliver every shot is engaging the camera moves where it needs to the cgi is as you said luke it's barely noticeable mm-hmm. and when it's in there it's in there for a reason camera movements are in there for a reason there's techniques that are used in this that Bring the, that should bring the viewer out of it. Matt said it earlier. You know when things just shake and you see cigarette burns mm-hmm. and you see, you know, it's it's pulling the it's almost pulling the curtain back and showing you what happens behind the scenes. This is you yeah. know it's spliced together and the audience doesn't know anything about it. And we're going to do this and we're going to do this. Yeah, there's close ups. There's just incredible light and where I've said before, it's pretty much pitch black in Fight Club and mm-hmm. it still works. Mm-hmm. You know, they're standing on the door at Paper Street when they're coming out and the clarity of this, because it's shot spherical 35 mil on the Panaflex, it just looks incredibly crisp and it's very yeah. big and it's very wide. And for anyone who's interested, he doesn't go any tighter than a 40 mil. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean exactly? Westy? Well, there's 40, 40 about 50 millimeters. If you, if you go on photography terms or on a 35 millimeter film, that is what your eye sees is 50. Okay. That's your okay. vision. So he goes to a 40, and every Wes Anderson film's shot on 40, pretty much. Okay. Godfather right. was shot on 40. But he, he doesn't go close on the lenses. He keeps everything wide, so you're involved in the environment. Like you've said, Luke, like you can smell it. You're part of it. There's no yeah. part of the environment or the production design where you go, I don't want to see more of that. Mm-hmm. So all the lenses stay pretty wide, 21, 27, 35, and 40. So you use four lenses on it, but nothing's close. Even a close-up, you still see the environment. Mm-hmm. You still see what he's doing with it. And that's hard to pull off because you've got to make sure everything in the frame works, and he does. He does an incredible job. Obviously, he's dad shot Blade Runner, so he knows what he's doing. Um, yes, right. So yeah, fantastic, fantastic work. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Jordan Cronenworth, he shot Blade Runner. He did, yeah. That was his dad. Yeah. Jordan was the original DP on Alien 3, but had to leave due to illness. That's right, yeah. Right. Mm. And this was Jeff Cronenworth's first Ridiculous feature. Ridiculous, that. I know, yeah. that's crazy, isn't it? Ridiculous. He'd worked on the set of other Fincher films before, like doing like second unit work, mm-hmm. and shot some of his music videos as well. Yeah. And he got the call from Fincher about Fight Club. He, he assumed that he'd be doing second unit work, but obviously Fincher installed him in the hot seat. Good. For the look of the film, Cronenworth said, in all of the normal reality situations, the look was supposed to be fairly bland and realistic. For the scenes when he is with Tyler, though, David wanted the look to be more hyper-real in a torn-down, deconstructed sense, Mm -hmm. a visual metaphor of what the narrator is heading into. Mm. Definitely does that. Great. Mm -hmm. Matt, Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on Jeff Cronenworth's work? Yeah, it's excellent. There seems to be this, like, visible 
sickly yellow tinge to mm. so many of the scenes. Yeah, it's quite green as well, isn't it? It, it is. It's quite yeah. green. It, it's almost like nicotine stained at times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is. It goes back to that question about Fincher bringing this visceral sense to this film, like you can smell it. And I think Cronenworth has to get huge credit for that. I mean, mm-hmm. every the way he shoots everyone, everyone seems to have like really sunken eyes. I think everyone, apart mm-hmm. from Tyler, looks ill and tired, and I'm sure makeup helped with that as well. But the way it's lit, I just find it really striking, really visceral. Like I do feel like I kind of need to have a shower after it. it it's like oh, God, it, yeah. it's reached out and it's it's grabbed mm-hmm. me, which it sounds horrible, but that's praiseworthy to be honest. If like yeah. the look of film can have yeah, that effect on where you, where do you start with that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Where do you start? And, <laughs> yeah. and honestly, I think like the last thing I'll say about them is this film is constantly looking at things that are gruesome or horrible or incredibly violent, but I can't look away because I think Cronenworth, mm-hmm. hand in hand with Fincher avoids making them feel gratuitous. There's, there's yeah, something yeah. about them compelling. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. It's yeah, the montage sequences as well for me, yeah, the way he frames those. them. And even yeah, just the a split second shot, you know, when know. the narrator, he puts his hand up and he's shouting at the taxi, but the plane yeah. is over ahead of him. Oh, oh yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, like two, it's two seconds. Yeah. And, just yeah, bang, yeah. and that's part of a montage where it's, it's just increasingly impressive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Incredible work. Yeah. So excellent crew work bringing Fincher's vision to the screen. The writing and cinematography stand out, but we should also give a nod to the Oscar-nominated sound editing by Ren Kleiss. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great. Production design by Alex McDowell and edited by James Haygood. Yeah. Yes. Brilliant. The end. The third act of the film brings with it Tyler's recruitment drive. He builds himself a fiercely loyal army and gets to work on his master plan. Mm. Project Mayhem. Mm -hmm. In Tyler we trust. Matt, Mm. over to you. Well, this is when things take a big turn for the worse. I mean, the narrator arriving home in a final crack and open a bee is either about to stick the match on, but no, (laughs) toast themselves because of the big smiley face they've satellite on the building. It's everything from now on is just such an escalation. It's gone from stuff that was criminal, but kind of low key and kind of funny to stuff that is now starting to border on like terrorism, basically, you know, it's it's boiling over now. It's boiling over, breaking into a building, doing stuff like that. You know, this is stuff that very feasibly could kill someone now. And it's just this whole gathering sense of things starting to spiral out of control for the narrator he doesn't know what project mayhem is no one's allowed to tell him he's starting to feel like he's on the outside all these events are happening seemingly without his knowledge and it's the same with that attack on commissioner jacobs the police chief when they drag him in the toilet stall and cut his balls off if he doesn't deny that fight club exists like that's the film that feels the most dangerous to me it's quite clockwork orange you know, Very I, get, much. I get that vibe from it. Mm-hmm. Also, I think this scene had to influence Nolan when he made The Dark Knight. You know, the scene where the Joker bursts into the uh, fundraiser Great. party. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really feels like that as well. And the crucial thing is, at this point, I don't think the film is ever funny anymore. All the jokes no. have stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Because to see these threats being carried out by this bunch of people, predominantly young guys, mm-hmm. and when they're all dressed up as the servant staff, they do look like they're wearing a uniform, and they all look pretty cool. All of them look really like chiseled and handsome. But essentially, the, this private army who aren't scared of the police, it's the one moment of the film I think, yeah, this feels dangerous. I, yeah. I, I think back to the hysteria this film caused about, you know, are people going to be influenced by this? This is the moment where I think, oh, you know what, maybe they did have a point because this mm. is... Quite, yeah. quite tough stuff to watch, I think. Mm-hmm. I think for me, this is where the film starts to sag a little bit. Right. It's passed over. The humor's gone out of it. Mm. And this is where I feel it, it does turn a little bit juvenile. Yeah. 
for me. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I have a real deep dislike for Jared Leto. I don't know what it is. Okay. I, I do, to be fair. Just generally. Yeah. I'll just so I want to talk about the scene where Angel Face gets his ass kicked by the narrator. <laughs> <laughs> don't mind the guy. 30 seconds tomorrow's not a big fan. Yeah, <laughs> definitely <unviable>. not. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I just, I've never been a big fan. I really can't put my finger on it. There's no rhyme or reason to it. I just don't like him. Fair enough. If I had to fight a celebrity, it may well be little. <laughs> <laughs> like this as well. Pulverize him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you love it. <laughs> I mean, he'd obviously whip me ass, but yeah. I'd get him a couple of good shots at it. Of course you would. <laughs> <laughs> the narrator exercising Jack's inflamed sense of rejection in this scene beats the living shit out of Angel Face, and it's yeah. a really disturbing scene. Yeah. I think the sound design, again, is great here because all the background noise kind of drowns out Mm -hmm. and all you Mm -hmm. can hear is that horrific crunching sound of knuckle against bone. Yeah. And we know that he's gone way too far because this is the only time that the crowd, who are usually being for blood, are horrified at what they're seeing. Silent, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, horrific. Leto said that during this scene, Norton caught him a couple of buttes in the face. Mm. But how the scene looks in the film was heavily edited at the request of the studio. Fincher said that Angel Face's nose split open down the centre and a kind of jelly-like bubble of blood gushes out like a volcano. Nice. And the cast and crew avoided him on this particular day because Bortine's prosthetic was so grotesque. That would have been amazing, though. I want to see that. (laughs) I mean, it is even without that, it's Mm. probably the most shocking moment in the film yeah. it when he's, he's horrific when it's finished and he's mourning mm. he's like yeah. Yeah. he looks yeah. like sloth out the goonies but yeah, he does, yeah. Over his face. Yeah. yeah he does it's horrible yeah i mean the whole sequence like you said it does start to unravel a little bit um and it is hard to lose track and you do think that they're just a bunch of kids running around with bombs and you just go mm-hmm. oh, oh christ they've they've kind of lost track of what's going on but then the narrator's lost track of going on of what's going Completely. on as well mm-hmm. so we as an audience don't have a clue what's happening but i just love the way this all comes together and how our confusion is his confusion hmm. and everyone else just hmm. their confusion is a different kind of confusion that you don't understand until you watch it a second time yeah and it's really really well done and really well layered and it's when bob comes back and he's been shot and oh, wow. you know everything was perfect and we had it there and that, that guy i can't remember his name but he's fantastic he's great in mindhunter as well holt mccallany or something holt McCallany, yeah he's yeah. he's great in this he's just yeah, so he like pretentious in his delivery mm. of stuff mm. where he just mm. believes in it so much yeah. where it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. really like it's almost cringy the way he delivers his lines he's just like mm-hmm. i understand it yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And he has to deliver, and he does such a great job with it. And his wigs are terrible all the way through. The like, wigs. Yeah. The one in yeah. the public bathroom. Yeah, the bathroom yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't fuck with us. And he's on the right yeah. hand side, and it's just like yeah. a mop on top. Of his head, yeah. Like a black mop. But he's great in this. And then you just think, oh, not Bob. But then you think, mm-hmm. well, yeah, because he obviously doesn't fit in. He wanted to leave immediately. He gets yeah. talked back into coming in there. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not part of it. He doesn't believe in it. He's just going along with it because he's got nothing else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really tragic for the character and then really tragic mm-hmm. for what happens. You know, the bit when they're putting up at that, the billboard, though, and they're like, you can fertilize your lawn with motor oil. Yeah. And his mm-hmm. slide off there is one of my favorite <laughs> things ever. Yeah. I think I've ever seen yeah. it. It's just incredibly good. Again, there's that mentality that's labeled here. And you just either, this is where you buy into it or it, it sags for you, which obviously sags for you. Look where everyone's yeah. bought into Project Mayhem. And if you haven't bought into it, it kind of loses you, but it shows yeah. their mentality of just like his name is Robert Potton. So the finding reason in anything, the finding reason yeah. in death, in Project Mayhem, in in death, you have a name. His name is Robert Paulson, and they're just kind of repeating it as a mantra, it's a mantra as, like, isn't it? as a yeah. cult, as like you know, yeah. drink the Kool Aid, and that's mm-hmm. where this is all gone, and that's where this is all going. And I really like that. I like the way that people can be formed that quickly to that mentality. A lot of people are lost. 
and a lot of people are looking for something to believe in. And yeah. I think that's what this is saying. And if you want to believe in something, it can be really fucking dangerous. Yeah, and very that, much. That's what works for me in this whole sequence. And Bob, don't I don't think he bought into it 100% and he wasn't ready for it. And that's mm-hmm. what happens. Brad Pitt said, I grew up in the Bible Belt and it's exactly the same thing at a revival. Yeah. That energy takes mm-hmm. over and people say that's God, but it's the energy of a mob. It is, yeah. It's a mentality, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So with Project Mayhem in full swing, the narrator begins to unravel in Tyler's absence. He is Jack's broken heart. This leads to one of the most memorable reveal endings in modern cinema. Yep. Mm. Matt, do you think? Well, unfortunately, this is where the film does take a big downward step for me. And it doesn't really recover because it, it's just a simple thing and it's just a personal one. But I just don't like the twist at all. Mm. I don't buy it. I just think it's silly. Whether he's been narrating to himself in his own head or actually talking out loud to himself, I don't buy that the narrator would have this power over so many people when they see him hitting himself. They would just think, what a weirdo, and avoid Mm -hmm. him. They wouldn't end up hanging on his every word, and there's no way he could go through the rest of the film with this split personality. And they not go at some point, hang on, why are we listening to this guy? What is he going on about? He's clearly nuts. It just doesn't work for me. And it's one of these things where it's this disparity between the writing and the directing because Fincher tries his best to make it work. And he did Mm -hmm. so much. And we've talked about some of the moments that he drops in visually to give clues. And they're excellent. It just doesn't convince me. It's not the type of twist where you go back and you think, oh, God, I see this scene in a different light now. It's not like the sixth sense or the usual suspects in that way where I want to go back and put all the pieces together and feel it. It's, you know, a really satisfying rug pull. And Mm. the problem is that twist then powers the last third of the film. Yeah. And I I don't think Fight Club is an overlong film, but I think by this point, because there's been so much like style brought with by Fincher, it starts to feel like it's just running on fumes a little bit because now it's like, ah, I've got to stop the bomb from going off. And I just think that's such like a downturn from what we've seen previously. And honestly, I just feel cheated by it, to be honest. I don't feel like it's it's particularly treated me with any kind of intelligence. And like I've said, I've never read the book. I suspect it's something that works much better on the page where it's literal narration that you're reading that then turns in on itself. It doesn't work on film for me, and everything just feels torpedoed from this point on, unfortunately. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oof, hot take. Hot take. Sorry. 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 I am Jack's heartbreak. Um, well, I mean, I don't have as much of a, a problem with it as you seem to have, mm. Matt. And maybe it's just because I've, I've, I've just I've accepted it. Yeah, it's it's, it's about it's mm. something in a film that I haven't really cared for before, so I just you know I've just yeah. accepted it. But I like the moment where the narrator catches up with Marla and they go to the diner. Yeah, yeah. Marla is dumbfounded that anything ordered is free of charge. Why is anything free of charge? But that mm. thought quickly goes, and she orders pretty much everything on the menu. <laughs> yeah. Clam chowder, fried chicken, baked potato with everything on it, and yeah. chocolate pie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Disgustingly funny when he requests clean food. Clean food. And he's recommend, oh. recommended against the clam chowder. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, my. <laughs> yeah. You can just imagine, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. HBC is great here. Hmm. She's completely broken by the narrator, even though there is a slight glimmer of hope for a moment. Even her, who has nothing in the world, has reached her end mm-hmm. with with the narrator here. Yeah. And her dialogue is great. She's not given the money back because she considered it asshole tax. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's great. And her payoff line is amazing because you think it's going to be something sweet and sentimental when mm. she gets on that bus but no yeah. tyler you're the worst thing that's ever happened to me <laughs> yeah. 
amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's great. <laughs> and just a quick mention, when the narrator makes it out of the police station intact, Mm. He's trying to be Tyler Durden, but he just can't manage it. When he pulls the gun, he says, the first person that comes out of this door gets a gets a lead salad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. West, are you going to bring it home? Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it really worked for me, I think, because I'd seen it and I hadn't seen much like it and I didn't see it coming and I was completely enthralled in the film and I'd seen it in the cinema when it first came out and I was like, fuck, I didn't see that coming. I can't believe Norton being that character when you see the flashbacks, when you see mm-hmm. him in Fight Club, when he, he's doing the pit stuff, when he's standing mm-hmm. there with his arms folded and he's delivering the same lines. You can kind of see it, but it's, it's that bit in the hotel room where they sat opposite each other and Pitt actually goes, come on. You know, you know, and you as an audience, you go, oh, shit. And you're like, yeah, you know, that's right. Yeah. And you go, ah, that's a great way to reveal a twist. And I love that. But the, the scene I'm going to talk about is just the very end. He, oh, he shoots so himself, good. gets rid of, of Tyler. And Tyler's like, what's that smell? And mm. just the back of his head's blown out. And just that fall from Pitt's incredible. And yeah. you know he's out of there. Norton's great in that moment. Yeah, yeah. it's absolutely wonderful. There's just this, this real stillness to it. And there's that final shot which was designed by Robert Dr. Bailey. <laughs> right. That's he's his mid- name. His middle name's Doctor. He's, well, I <laughs> think his name's Dr. Bailey in inverted commas, so that's his nickname, I guess. <laughs> he's the doctor. But he worked on this shot for 14 months. Wow. And there was 4 million separately animated digital elements in this Holy shot. Holy shit. Of the banks getting blown up and falling down. With mm-hmm. Looks incredible. Narrator. It does. Yeah, yeah. It, it really, really does, and it works. And again, we're mm-hmm. talking about the sound design. Just them explosions, and you just yeah. go, Phew. and you know, again, the dialogue. You met me in a very, mm. really strange <laughs> yeah. time in my life. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. Great last line. Yeah, yeah, and it it's is. a great last line. It's probably the only time I've liked the Pixies as well. I've really tried. Yeah. <laughs> I've really tried to get into the Pixies, and I just cannot do it. But that tune on that, the mm. where is my mind for that? Yeah. It's just fantastic. Absolutely yeah. works, and it comes home. And you think, well, is this actually happening? Did I actually see all this? Is this mm. real? Because did, did did that actually, and then you just see a cock spliced in, <laughs> and you're like, is he taking the piss? I don't yes, know. Yes, he is. Of course yes, he is. is. Yeah. But did, did they set all the charges? Did that actually happen? Did what you saw? And I, that's what I love about it. It just leaves it so open-ended. It doesn't take itself seriously. Hmm. It's about being focused on what you believe in and what you want to do and ignoring everything around you not letting it make so much of an impact on your life i think that's what the film is trying to say is trying to be somebody and be something original don't just follow what you think you need to follow mm. at the time it just had this real energy that i still get from it now mm. so on the brink of economic equilibrium the narrator finally frees himself of tyler's hold with a sliver of optimism that Mahler is by his side mm. or is she Reception and awards. Fight Club opened at the Venice Film Festival in 1999. Norton and Pitt were very confident going in. They shared a <laughs> joint. <laughs> of course they did. Amazing. <laughs> and they sat down for the screen and right next to the man who ran the entire festival. But the film went down like a lead balloon with the audience. <laughs> the festival head squirmed in his seat for 30 minutes, then left after the grade school line, naturally. Wow. Yeah. And there was a deathly silence when the credit rolled. <laughs> Pitt said, later on, he mm. said, for the first time, I didn't care what anyone thought because I was so ecstatic with the final product. Yeah. It was beyond mm. expectation. Yeah. 
Fight Club didn't get the marketing that Fincher believed it deserved. Fox relied heavily on the blokes beating each other up angle and mm. placed ads in the likes of wrestling and UFC <laughs> events. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> To make matters worse, critical reception for Fight Club was a very, very mixed bag. Mm. The Evening Standard said that the film was an inadmissible assault on personal decency (laughs) and said that the fight scenes were grotesquely explicit and pornographically amplified. Wow, okay. Mm. Entertainment Weekly called it a dumb and brutal shock show of a movie. And our pal, the late great Roger Ebert, Mm. how do you think he felt about it? Two and a half. (laughs) Two and a half out of four? I reckon one and a half. I don't think he liked Ooh. it. Split the difference. He gave it two out of four. Right. Okay. He called it a thrill ride masquerading as philosophy. Right. Yeah. Which is what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. However, Empire Magazine was a big believer in Finch's film. Mm. It gave Fight Club four out of five, seeing great performances, stunning visuals, and a plot like nothing you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. One of the films of the year. It also gave Bonham Carter the Empire Award for Best British Actress. Mm-hmm. And in 2020, they ranked Tyler Durden as the eighth greatest movie character of all time. Wow. Wow. High praise indeed. The film was nominated for one Oscar, Best Sound Editing, but it lost out to The Matrix. You know, I get that. That's yeah, fair enough. That's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Controversy surrounded the film upon release. On a budget of $65 million, it returned a very modest $101 million. Still made money, but it, that is a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Rosie O'Donnell might be a reason for that. Right. She disliked the film so much that she revealed the twist ending on a popular daytime TV show, something that Brad Pitt oh. said was unforgivable. Yeah, because she didn't mm-hmm. like it, so to spoil yeah. it for everyone. I'm sure it's not all Rosie O'Donnell's fault, but... Wouldn't have helped. No, but... No, I, de- I, definitely wouldn't have got to help. She didn't help it. No. But there was a quick shift in popularity for the film. It came out when DVDs were a relatively new idea mm-hmm. and was crammed full of extras. Yeah. Word of mouth spread throughout the film community and it became a cult classic pretty much instantly. Yeah. Yeah. It won the best DVD and best special features by the Online Film Critics Society and sold over 6 million copies on DVD in the first 10 years of its release. Yeah. yeah. And I've got I've got the the soundtrack's just come out as being reissued on vinyl, the Dust Brothers soundtrack. Right. And I got it from Monzo, but you have to literally rip the actual vinyl cover really <laughs> to get the vinyl out of it you have to like oh, wrap the packaging yeah. i'm guessing that you haven't done that no, no. Haven't. It's, it's, <laughs> of course you haven't you're gonna have to buy two in the wrap yeah and I know, <laughs> you have to literally like rip it like a like an amazon package that's really fight club of course it is yeah, yeah. in the years that followed fight club continued to call controversy inspiring fight clubs to pop up all over the world mm. including in some religious circles where parishioners were encouraged to beat up the flesh and believe the gospel of grace Wow. Outrageous stuff. Yeah. Now that the dust has settled, Fight Club has a Rotten Tomatoes rating of 79% and a huge, huge, huge IMDb score of 8.8 out of 10, making it the 11th best film ever made, according to those guys. Wow. So playing the long game, Fight Club remains a firm favourite among movie fanatics, but of course, they don't talk about it. No. All the right movies ranking. The big reveal for the podcast rivals Fight Club's reveal in many ways. Mm-hmm. Riveting, unexpected, mm-hmm. and disliked by a certain number of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is the All The Right Movies ranking, our summary and score out of 10. Matt, why don't mm. you light the fuse? So I hadn't watched this for about six years, something like that. So okay. com- coming back to it was a real reminder of, of lots of things about it. 
one thing was how frustrating it can be at times because to use the cliche it is for me very much style over substance i think the visual flair that fincher brings is incredible Pitt is outrageous mm-hmm. norton is really grounded i like bonham court as well i absolutely love those montage sequences all that is great all that really works for me mm-hmm. and that's the style but when it comes to substance that's where i think the film is lacking you know okay. fincher is like sprinting with this film with with all the material he's oh, got yeah. he's sprinting with it but the writing is just dragging him back because i do find it quite hollow underneath everything that fincher brings to it and style over substance isn't necessarily a bad thing it just goes back to that point i made earlier fight club does have this aura and this maybe is me commenting on other people's kind of latching onto this but it does have this aura that it thinks it's a bit special it thinks it's a bit more profound and deep yeah than i think it is I, I personally don't get that at all combine that with the twist in the final third which does start to fall apart a bit for me and normally there's just no character in this film that's really worth investing in emotionally or just okay. or, yeah has an arc so it's very fitting because this film does actually have a split personality there's loads uh-huh. yeah. of really good stuff but there is some not great stuff pulling it back but i think ultimately having said all that it's still such a one-off it's still mm. such a product of a time when studios would invest in risky ideas a lot more freely than they would do today and you've got to respect Absolutely. the fact that it inspires so much divisive opinion but mm-hmm. it gets an extra mark for me so it ends up with the eight okay that's a fair score i think mm. Is it? <laughs> is, is it? it? <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate what you're saying, Matt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wonderful. Fundamentally disagree. Uh, yeah. No, that's absolutely fine. It's a special film for me. It hit me mm. at the right time. Mm-hmm. It made us believe mm-hmm. in cinema. It made us believe in what I was seeing on the screen was just something that I could completely relate to and something that I felt really happy with. It was a voice that I needed. very similar to music that I was listening to at the time, very similar to music I'm listening to now, but I don't really think I've seen a film since then that I've been moved to the point where like, Jesus Christ, this makes sense. And I'm so happy that it exists. To me, it is special. Mm -hmm. To me, it is profound. To me, it does say them things. I am completely devoid and completely disengaged with anyone who thinks that this is a good idea to pursue yeah. this in a way that mm-hmm. yeah. is something that you should focus your life or how you should be. But I think for me to go, you know, it makes sense. Don't worry about it. Don't worry so much because yeah, we're all, we're all caught in a, in the machine. We're all going to work in the morning. If I never got to do this, am I, am I losing my mind? No, you're not. And this is the film where you go, you're not fucking losing your mind. You're not crazy. Everyone feels the same as you do. And I got a, a, a clarity from it and I got a calm from it. And I got an incredible look into a, a filmmaker in David Fincher and how technically beautiful this is and how technically mm. perfect this is. Mm-hmm. And Definitely how, agree with that. The, yeah. the, how it looks, how it sounds, how it plays out, how it's edited, how it's acted. It's not a second grade film at all. It is, for me, a masterclass in all of them things. And at the same time, it had a subject matter that isn't for everyone, but it definitely mm-hmm. was for me when I saw it. And it yeah. still resonates with me now. And I don't really, the, the beautiful thing about this film is I don't need to defend it. It works for me. And I'm absolutely fine if nobody else likes it. And I think Pitt mm-hmm. and Norton were the same. We're going to have a joint yeah, before yeah. we watch it because <laughs> we know it works for us. And it really works for me. And it does mm-hmm. on every level. So I'm doing this for everyone who really appreciates the film. Everyone who saw this when it came out. Everyone who is a Fight Club aficionado without being a Fight Club aficionado. So it's 10 on 10 for me. Wow. Wow. Pow. 10. Mm. Just like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I said at the start, I didn't love the film for years. And I'm 
pretty much in the still in the same place to be honest okay mm. i thought you would yeah. be yeah yeah three hours you haven't changed your expression at all <laughs> no yeah. <laughs> for three hours yeah. <laughs> you know fincher is a master director and i can certainly appreciate what he brought to the party here mm-hmm there are moments that really stand out. And it, and it is an entertaining film, but the, it kind of falls off the cliff a little bit in that third act for me. I think that Fincher has done half a dozen better films. Mm? Right. For okay. me. I do like all the performances, particularly Bonham Carter, pits another level. Mm-hmm. But I'm not motivated to keep up with the film. It leaves me feeling dirty, and I don't want to revisit this world too many times. Mm. Right. For me, it feels a little soulless and just lacking some heart for me. And I think it outstays its welcome by 19 minutes. Keep it under that two-hour mark. <laughs> that was so precise. It was precise. Just round it up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I can't deny its cultural impact and obviously the craft on show behind the scenes, the crew work, like I've said, incredible stuff. Mm. So I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 10. Mm. Wow. Okay. Yes. There it is, Westy. Mm. But that isn't... The final score for the film. No, we no. have opened the voting on Twitter for our fourth score for Fight Club. Mm. I'll get to the score in a moment, but first some comments. <laughs> okay. Should be fun. Yep. Naturally, we got a shitload of comments saying that people would vote for it. You know, I'd vote for this, but of course, I'm obeying the first rule no. of Fight Club. You can swallow yeah, yeah. a pint of blood before you get sick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there were there were dozens and dozens of those comments. Yeah. So our first comment comes from Tor Andre Garansrud at Allheim's Dot. Okay. Okay. And Tor Andre said, "I like parts of it. I like the way it builds its story. I like Norton in the lead, but the ending just irritated me. Right. Yeah. It's just too much, over the top, and the film is maybe too filthy, sweaty, and gritty." <laughs> Tor Andre also said, "If this is masculinity, I want nothing of it." Yeah. Mm. And Hotshot Hamish at Hotshot Hamish 1 said, five. Really disliked it. Fincher's worst film by a mile. Tripe message hammered home by a drunken sixth former. Worse than The Curious Case of Benjamin Benjamin Button. Button. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah, surely not. And finally, we're ending with Mr. Mart at Mullins Martin, who simply said, masterpiece. Yes, now we're talking. Now you're talking. (laughs) So, different ends of the spectrum there, and I think mm. we've covered that range on the spectrum with our comments as well. Yeah. yeah. A mixed bag, mm. polarizing 24 years on still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, what do you think the film averaged out of 10 for our Twitter faithful? I'm going to say a nine. <sighs> I'll go 8.5. Westy, bang on the money. Oh. Got a big time nine out of 10. Big time nine. All right, nice. Mm-hmm. So that leaves Fight Club with an overall score of 34.5 out of 40. Hmm. Hmm. Polarizing. Very, Very divisive, this film. Yeah. 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 yeah Not surprising, that score, because you love it or hate it. Yeah. yeah. Still, you know, very interesting to talk about, though, and get everyone's Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. take on it. Yeah, it's great. You can see where Fight Club ranks against all the other films that we've covered over the last four years on the podcast by visiting alltherightmovies.com forward slash leaderboard. As mentioned at the top of the show, you can sign up to be an All The Right Movies Patreon supporter by visiting patreon.com forward slash all the right movies. You get access to that huge glut of podcasts that we mentioned that is in our podcast archive. Have a see on what films that we cover and the score that they get. Also, you can buy our podcast individually on our website, and that is all the right movies.com. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's your homework yep. assignment for this week. <laughs> <laughs> 
Don't forget that if you are an ATRM patron or you do subscribe to us on Twitter, you can be part of our exclusive expanded Twitter community. Mm-hmm. Yep. Join us next time on All the Right Movies when John, Matt, and Westy will be revisiting Christopher Nolan's magical The Prestige. Mm-hmm. A yes, great film bound to be an even better show, right, guys? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Looking yeah. forward to that one. Excellent, yeah. yeah. Our most recent Patreon exclusive podcast is on two Harrison Ford 80s classics, Witness and Frantic. So become a director's chair tier patron to listen to that. A great show, a little spiky in our opinions on that one as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a wrong Frantic club. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Disgusting. Ill. Ill. Sick. Sick. <laughs> Filth. Yeah. See, they're going to have to sign up to understand that joke now. There you are. There you are. That, that's from, <laughs> Let's just leave it there. An episode way back. Sign up yeah. and find out which one we mean. Yeah, you'll have it, to delve through all of them to find out. We're not going to give it away. No, we're not. It was great. <laughs> and if that wasn't enough, we've got content coming out on social media every day. Mm-hmm. On Twitter, we are at AT Right Movies. I can't tell you how good the making of threads are on there. Oh, so you'll have to, have to go on there and check it out for yourself. Good. Outrageous. Yep. On Instagram and threads, we are at all the underscore right movies, at all the right movies on TikTok. Join our Facebook group and join in on the discussions there. Yep. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and like our videos. They go up regularly and are very high class. Of course they are. And if you like the podcast, we'd love if you could give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, you know, positive for preference. Yeah. Don't waste your time otherwise. No. (laughs) Yeah, don't bother. Yeah, don't bother on a three. (laughs) Just, you know, log in for a five. Why not? Five or nothing. Yeah. And our website with loads of great articles going up regularly is alltherightmovies.com. Mm-hmm. Loads to chew on there. Yeah. There is. And that is a wrap, everybody. Mm-hmm. We're off to Starbucks on our way to IKEA to buy some Erica Picari dust ruffles. <laughs> yeah. And some fucking khakis. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening. You'll be hearing from us again in two weeks on The Prestige. Bye, everyone. Yes. yes thank you very Bye, much everyone. for listening, guys. Thank you, really guys. Appreciate it. Bye. Nice day.